Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Wednesday, October 26th. We are here live. It is time for Destination Health. We've got a big day lined up today. Right here at the start, we've got a guest I'll be talking about in just a second. Later on today, we'll be doing the final episode of the sleep protocol that I'm working on with Danielle from Four Sigmatic. So we'll be releasing all three parts of that on the app as well. Lots of good stuff going on. Um, We're going to jump right in and get started today. So I want to welcome back uh, a guest that we haven't had on in a while but uh, I'm really excited about what we're going to be doing and talking about today. Uh, we're going to be talking about something that is really important to everybody. And joining me to do that right now, I want to welcome in Kara Collier from NutriSense. She's the VP of Health at NutriSense. So let's jump right in and get her on here. I also think we've got uh, Lauren with us this morning, so I'm going to bring her in in just a second as well. Kara, welcome back. Oh, hold on one second. That's There we go. I had all kinds of technical issues right at the start this morning, but I think I've got them taken care of. Uh, Let's try that again. Kara, welcome back. Hey, Kevin. Can you hear me okay? There we go. It was all on my end. I had all kinds of weird little (laughs) things going on right there at the start. So uh, one other thing about you, you have a whole bunch of initials after your name. Why don't we just say you know a lot about nutrition, right? Yeah, we can go with that one. That works for me. (laughs) Okay, good. Um, Today we're going to be talking about glucose control, blood sugar, specifically continuous glucose monitors and how valuable they are. I kind of want to set the stage, and and before I do that, I want to bring Lauren in with this as well. Uh, Lauren, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Kevin and Kara. Glad to be here. I know this is a topic uh, near and dear to your heart as well because you work with our our clients every day on issues like this. Um, I kind of want to set the stage on this, where we are in health in the country right now. And and all of us know kind of how bad it is. But what got me thinking about this, um, I I live in a really small town and we run our business out of here. And so people kind of know what we do. They're a little confused because they can't figure out how trucking and health go together, but they know that we do a lot of health stuff. And Somebody the other day was shocked that I was wearing a continuous glucose monitor. They said, why would you do that? You're the health guy. And I said, yeah, that's why I'm wearing one. So I tried to explain to them, you know, how valuable it is to, to have this information. But I, I also was reading, um, I've seen two numbers that came out recently. One said only 12% of Americans are metabolically healthy. The other one said only 7% are cardiometabolically healthy. I'm not really sure how you separate those two because you know just about everybody that that has a poor metabolism has heart issues as well. So I'm not really sure. I couldn't figure out how they separated those, but those were appalling numbers. And then, of all things... um, this whole crazy trend of celebrities using diabetic drugs 
to lose weight. And you know if the celebrities are doing it, the, the regular people are going to think it's wonderful and they'll start doing it. What, what do you think of all this? Yeah, I'll go ahead and jump in. This is Kara. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty alarming, as you mentioned. And if you really dig into what the numbers mean as well, you know, taking first the statistic you mentioned about 12% of Americans, it's about estimated one in eight actually have optimal metabolic health. And that's based on traditional medical guidelines. So medic, uh, metabolic syndrome looks at five criteria. One is your waist circumference which is where, you know, if we're looking at weight overall, how much weight you hold on your belly is the most dangerous weight. And then it looks at triglyceride levels, HDL cholesterol, blood pressure, and then fasting glucose levels. But a lot of those criteria are based off of diagnostic levels, where if you really dig into the research, you can see that you actually start to see some signs of unhealthy behaviors, metabolic dysfunction at criteria even lower. So in a nutshell, where 12% are probably metabolically healthy per that research, I would estimate it's actually an even smaller group of people that are truly fully metabolically healthy. Uh, so it just goes to show that we have a lot of work on our hands and there's a lot of room for improvement. But I'm really optimistic that you know the more we all talk about how important this is, the more that we can really improve that number. So there's nowhere to go from but up from here. Yeah, I agree, and and you know we love being able to do that. It's just it gets frustrating when you know you see celebrities with such a huge platform and it, people because they're a celebrity somehow anything they say in some people's mind must be right. And even, I think Elon Musk has been a part of this. My God, I thought the guy was somewhat in, I actually at one point said he might be the smartest guy on the planet, you know, just pure brain power wise, but <laughs> what an idiot. Why would he promote something like this? Yeah, I agree. It is frustrating. Um, there's a lot of bad information out there in general. And a lot of people you know, inherently as humans, we want the quick fix. So something like a shot that helps you lose the weight is very appealing to the human brain because it's easy, right? You know, we don't yeah. really want to do the hard work, but that is what is important because no matter what quick fix you try, whether it's, you know, the a shot, a medication, on um, some sort of fad diet where you lose a lot of weight quickly, if it is a quick fix that should have alarm bells going off in your head that is most likely means it's not going to be sustainable and then that's the pattern we see people get stuck into is you know they yo-yo diet or they they're doing really well in one extreme and then they go on the opposite extreme and that's what we really want to avoid we want to build healthy habits that are sustainable and even though that's not as exciting or fun or immediate, that's what's actually going to bring people the real outcomes they want at the end of the day, which is to feel better, to look better, to live longer, to be able to do the things that you want to do. So it's, it's tempting to jump into those quick fixes, but it's that cycle that nobody actually likes to get stuck into. Yeah. So I love that. I love that you're a proponent for uh, sustainable lifestyle changes because that is really the answer. I completely agree. Yeah. So uh, if we were to say, okay, here's a, a really good overall measure of health. You know, we've looked at people's weight before. 
look at their cholesterol and just give them a bunch of statins. But if we were to really say, okay, look, this measure, the, the five criteria you talked about, metabolic health, really is, the I think, the best measurement we have of where are you and how can we improve it? How can we know we're improving these things? Wouldn't you say that the, the single most important number that we can measure easily on our own would be blood glucose? That's certainly what I strongly believe. So a little bit of context for how I got to believing that is I'm a dietitian by trade. So I used to work in the hospitals with patients who are really sick, really trying to help them get back to feeling optimal through lifestyle changes. And what I realized working in traditional healthcare system is that it was very difficult to actually achieve that outcome within the system. So I kind of jumped and started my own startup. But what I was trying to solve with my startup is figure out which metrics are kind of the core root value or root cause that is driving a lot of these common chronic health conditions. And so the more and more I dug into the research and looked at what was available, it really drove back to the point that metabolic health is really that hub of good health overall. So some of those most common chronic conditions, even just obesity, but also heart disease, cancer, diabetes, neurological dysfunction, can all stem from that good metabolic health. And so if we really want to move the needle and focus on one thing, that's what we want to look at. And then when it comes to that, you know, there are those five metrics. And then out of those, the one thing that we can measure due to really advanced technology and availability is that glucose, because we have this technology that we'll talk about, which is the continuous glucose monitor or CGM, that is telling you in real time, 24-7, how is your glucose level responding to the different things you do each day. And that gives you some really powerful and in real time personalized information for how your metabolic health is functioning. So then if we can really move the needle on your body and your metabolic health, that has that ripple effect we're looking for that's going to impact kind of all aspects of health or at least a lot of them. And so rather than kind of fine uh, tuning, a lot of people get stuck on the unimportant details. <laughs> like, should I eat spinach or arugula? Or, you know, they're like, should I have organic or not organic chicken breast? And it's like, first, we've really got to master the fundamentals <laughs> so that we can make the biggest positive ripple effect and not get so stuck in the little details, the little, you know, in the weeds questions that aren't as important. Yeah, that's such a great point. Lauren, you deal with that every day, right? Those are the kind of questions you've got to help people understand that it's not maybe the latest little thing they read in the newspaper, saw it on the news about, you know, the latest, you know, superfood that's going to revolutionize your health and they never do and they never will. Um, you deal with that all the time, mm -hmm. right? Oh, absolutely. And I can completely agree with Kara that you know, it's very apparent that everyone wants that quick fix that, you know, take something and all your worries and troubles are going to go away. But it's just not the way we're built. We are, you know, we're like functioning machines and we have to keep a balance. It's critical. So definitely pretty cool stuff that's, that's going on with these, with these uh, continuous glucose monitors, actually. It's, um, it's pretty neat because I think in the past, Am I correct by saying 
that like to get a hold of one of those, you pretty much had to be diagnosed diabetic and work um, like probably through insurance to, to cover the cost of it. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. So in the United States, they are considered medical devices. So they do require a physician's prescription. And then historically, a physician is most likely only going to prescribe them for you if you are diagnosed with either type 1 or type 2 diabetes and you are dependent on insulin therapy to manage your diabetes. So only about 30% of type 2 diabetics have ever worn a CGM. So it's even not, um, not even, you know, completely used in the diabetic community as well, which is really unfortunate because it's such a powerful tool to manage your diabetes. But then outside of diabetes, it's essentially used by nobody historically because it's been unknown in the traditional healthcare system how much value this can bring outside of that small group. And so what we're doing is trying to make it more available to the everyday person so they can have this information for themselves and really take control of their own health and not have to, you know, be stuck behind kind of what is traditionally given to them or, you know, lack of availability to some of this information. So we do still take care of that prescription. Um, it's still a, a regulation in the U.S. So we take care of all of that for our customers so that all they have to do is sign up and then they'll get the information, they'll get the devices. So we kind of take care of all of that headache for them. Oh, okay. That's good to know. Very interesting. Yeah, you know, that there's another number you just quoted that really shocks me. It must keep you awake at night. Only 30% of type 2 diabetics have worn one. That's insane. It is insane. Yeah, and a lot of this has to do with educating physicians, and the other has to do with insurance reimbursement. So historically, a lot of the reimbursement only came if you were on insulin therapy. There's actually some new rules um, in the pipeline. I don't even think they're officially released from Medicare and Medicaid. That's going to loosen some of those reimbursements. Um, so you don't necessarily have to be on a certain level of insulin to be able to get this. And it's it's really unfortunate. And it's, it's one small example of what happens all of the time in the healthcare system, which is you have to be really sick before you can get the tools that you need to get you better, where it would be much more effective for everybody involved if they got some of that information way sooner. Uh, it, oh, yeah. yeah, it's very frustrating. You know, it, it's even worse than what you just said, because it, you, you said you have to be really sick to get some of these tools, which in this case is absolutely true. But then we have the opposite problem of, go two points over some random number on cholesterol and the doctor's forced to prescribe you a statin. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I was another really kind of eye-opening and alarming uh, statistic I learned from this one was we had somebody, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Quantified Self. It's a, it's a blog. They do a lot of like N of one testing and they ran a research study that looked at people who were got their lipid values drawn, so their cholesterol levels at different times in the morning. They're still fasted, still doing the same routine, and just shifting whether it got drawn at 7 a.m. versus 9 a.m. versus 11 a.m. changed, you know, the <laughs> outcome of their labs by up to 5 to 10%. No way. And so, 
if somebody went in and got their appointment at 9 a.m. versus 11 a.m., it might be the difference of you got a statin versus you didn't get a statin. So there are so many small factors to consider that, you know, we just don't take into account. It's like, follow this protocol. This value is above this. So I'll give you this. When in reality, especially if you're close to the threshold of what might be considered high cholesterol, I'm sure Mm -hmm. everybody on this call knows that all you have to do is maybe try a few lifestyle changes and (laughs) probably uh, if you're following them, 99% chance you come back to get a retest and they're in normal levels. It's a much easier thing to try rather than immediately defaulting to, again, the easy fix. But um, there are a lot of things (laughs) that could be done better than (laughs) than they're currently being done. (laughs) And it's part of why I kind of like to start a show like this, highlighting the difference between the two systems, our our traditional, I, I don't, our traditional sick care system, I won't call it a health care system. There's nothing healthy about it. it. It's a sick care system or the true health care that we're talking about. And, you know, in, in this case, on the continuous glucose monitor, um, like you both said, it, it was traditionally you had to be diabetic. There's all this criteria before you could even get one. I, I'm not for this whole idea of forcing doctors to do things based on random numbers. You know, we, we educate these doctors, we, we put them through crazy amounts of things before they can become a doctor, and then we tell them, you absolutely have to do this if this shows up. That, that's just so wrong. I, I've joked that, you know, one of the big issues in, in trucking these days is, you know, if autonomous trucks are going to replace truck drivers, and someday they will. I, I said, we could just do that with doctors. I mean, it, it's so regimented on how everything has to be done. We don't need a doctor in the office. Put a kiosk in there. Walk in, answer all the questions. It'll prescribe something for you. You can go home. That's all doctors seem to do anymore. And I think a lot of it is because they're forced to. Yeah, and to, to the benefit of the doctor, they are forced to do a lot of this. A lot of it is driven by insurance reimbursement. A lot of it is driven by you know, less and less time they get per patient. Uh, They're totally burnt out. So they're facing a lot of barriers that make it really difficult to do things in a way that is more effective for the patient, the individual on the other side. And that's where it's it's part of a bigger picture conversation. I've certainly thought a lot about how will AI and technology change the way we do healthcare. I think there could be a lot of benefits. I think there will always be a human component, but I could see it as, you know, if you input a lot of these criteria that's going on with a human, you can have a much more effective decision tree where like here are the three potential outcomes or three potential like considerations that a computer can spit out that is actually very difficult for a physician or any human to remember all of the different, right. you know, alternative diagnoses. And it could actually make mm-hmm. us more effective, but then a human has to be able to really like explain and deliver that information effectively and connect with the patient, the other human, which are the skill sets that aren't emphasized as much traditionally with physicians. So I'll be curious to see how that changes over time. Maybe it's more of somebody who has like empathy skill sets or counseling skill sets that ends up playing that role of kind of transferring the information to a human. But 
Um, who knows? We'll, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I do want to get down to, you know, specifically what we want to talk about today, glucose control and the, the glucose monitor. One thing I want to add, you did a beautiful job of describing how it works. We get all this information 24 hours a day, every day on what's going on with our, our blood sugar without any kind of finger sticks over and over and over. You put this thing on once, you don't even feel it when it goes on. And, and that's it. Now you scan it with your phone, no more finger sticks. You know that I, I've done so much of that. And people used to say, why are you doing that? I, I'm doing it so I can learn. And it wasn't even the pain. I mean, after a while it does get sore. We can deal with that. It's just the hassle of it, the strips and the mess and the over and over and over. And then I, you know, I'm in too much of a hurry, so I'm not going to check it right now. And I miss so much good information. You could not replicate what this device does with a finger stick ever. No, absolutely. You can. And I'm sure anybody who has done the finger sticks can agree with what you're saying, where it's just a headache. It's not very fun. And sometimes it's like still bleeding <laughs> 10 minutes later and you're like, wow, well, then stop bleeding. Your fingers are sore. It's just annoying. And like you're saying, it would take 200 finger sticks to get the same amount of information you would get with just three days of the CGM. You know, I really describe it as the difference between a photo and a movie. So if you think about the finger stick, it's a quick photo of what's happening in that very moment. And that's it. You know, you don't get the additional information of what happened right before, what's going to happen right after, how it differs from that same moment tomorrow. Whereas the CGM is continuously gathering data. So you get a movie picture of what's going on without the finger stick, without any pain, without any effort. And suddenly now you get to see all these other details and context and information that you just can't gather with a bunch of photos. You know, both are useful and provide you some information and you'll learn some things from both. But the difference is just, you know, it's, it's completely different experience. So um, for those who have never worn a CGM, they last for 14 days each. So like you said, you put it on, it's super painless. You don't feel it at all. And then anytime you're curious about your data, you would just check your phone and you can see what's been happening on that continuous basis. So you can see the difference I always give is I used to check my uh, glucose with the finger sticks all the time. And, you know, I would check my about an hour or two after I ate something. And I had this example with pineapple where I would check like an hour after and my glucose was normal, low, you know, 80s. So I'd always be like, well, I really don't like respond to pineapple. And then when I put on a CGM, I see I actually have a huge spike, but then it comes down really quickly. So it's just those little nuances that you just can't capture unless you have the continuous data. That's interesting. And those are the kind of things I want to talk about here in a little bit. But I, I do want to go back. I, I love analogies and I'm stealing that one. That's a really good one. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that one. Uh, so the, 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 the data, um, one of the things I, I want to start with is the, because it, I, another thing that I think really sets you apart, and I remember talking to your founder really early on, um, your software, and, and I think he made a statement like he really thought of, of you as a software company. You know, the, 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 device itself, there are others like it, they really gather the same data, um, but how that data gets interpreted. And the traditional medical community, we know 
doesn't do a great job with stuff like this. And I think that's really another place where you stand out. One, it's so easy to get. Um, it, but the, the, the software itself has got so much data presented in so many different ways. And then when you're on a program, you do get uh, a, a coach to help you with all this, right? Yeah, you do. So we really believe that that component of data plus human expertise is really important to truly drive behavior change. Kind of the example, again, of, you know, medical community, I think that data will play a bigger role, but I think there'll still always be a human component. Uh, so we, we present the information in the app. So it is software driven and we're, you know, you can see what your glucose data is doing. We also have snapshots of your glucose score. So one to 10, which gives you a quick insight into, you know, how does today look? Every time you log a meal, you also get a meal score. So you can see how did I respond to that meal at a glance? And then you can also sync information from other wearables to get um, like your workout information from your Apple Watch or um, your sleep information from your Aura Ring. And so we're trying to connect some of these really important health habits so that you can really understand what is driving good glucose responses, what is driving not as good glucose responses, and where to focus attention. And then it does include unlimited one-on-one -on -one chat with an assigned registered dietitian coach. So, um, and I can attest since I trained all of our dietitians and hired them and uh, built the program that they learn from that they're not your traditional dietitians that's going to give you some uh, outdated advice. So we really look at the person for who they are. Um, look at their data and then kind of look at those, again, fundamentals of nutrition and health and lifestyle changes to help prioritize for somebody, you know, what's the most important thing to pick out from your data that we can work on and improve that's going to really move the needle. And so they'll help you kind of set goals, walk through things, answer any questions you might have. You know, some people message their coach every single day and that's completely okay. Where some people just want a weekly check-in or they just want to have their questions answered as they come up. So it's really choose your own adventure, make what you want of it. And they're there, you know, to support you along your health journey. Well, kudos to you on, on the team of coaches. I, I got to tell you, in the beginning, when I, I first um, started, you know, looking at the company and talking to you and starting, you know, my program at my first reaction was, well, you know, I don't need the coach thing. You know, I, I just, I'll, I, I can do that. And then I thought, no, wait a minute, it, it's there. Why wouldn't I take it and use it? They're amazing. They really are. I, I, I was, as much as I have studied this and as much as I've worked with it, know it, I learned things from the coaches that I didn't know. I, I was really shocked. And the other thing I love about them is, I kind of knew how I wanted to eat. At the time when I first started, I was on a really strict keto diet. And that was the way I wanted to eat. And it was working for me. And we've helped a lot of people with it. There was no pushback. There, there was no, oh, no, that you shouldn't be eating that way. You should be doing this. It was simply they worked with me the way I wanted to do it. And I thought that was just amazing. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, part of our philosophy certainly is to meet people where they're at. And we we don't believe at all that there's one right or wrong way to eat. There are many ways to approach health. And a lot of the traditional rigid nutrition guidelines of must follow, you know, my plate and you always have to have grains at every meal. 
uh, we certainly don't believe to be true. So, uh, you know, we approach things a little bit differently here. Yeah, it, it, it really shows. I, I do want to go back to the glucose score. So there's, this is a, and actually I need to learn some things from you because I'm not sure I completely understand some of this, but you said it's a, a one, a zero to 10 score, 10 being optimal. And there are four parts. And I, in a second, I want you to go over these and explain them to us. Peak, average, adaptability, and variability. And I'm looking at mine right now. Uh, I started wearing a monitor again. I've been doing it on on and off for a couple of years. And I started almost maybe two weeks ago to get ready for the show. So I would have some data to talk about. Um, I think both of you are way too young um, to get this reference. But uh, I'm looking at my score and I'm kind of like the Bo Derek of glucose control here. Does anybody get that? I know Bo Derek. Yeah. yeah okay. I didn't, I didn't, it didn't go over my head. I'm not going to lie. But. Uh, some, sometime way back in the eighties, there was a movie called perfect 10 and Bo Derek was the, the perfect 10, the, the woman. Uh, so I, I've got a perfect 10 on my glucose score. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think that attests to the fact that I'm sure you practice what you preach, and I'm sure that those perfect tens haven't come without a lot of hard work and consistent habits. Uh, but we do have that score, so one to ten, and it helps people if they don't want to be like total data nerds and dig into every little piece of the data and understand what's going on. Some people love that, which is great. We have more analytics for those people. Some people also just want to know at a glance, like, is, is today good, not so good, bad? How am I looking? And so that's why we kind of distill it into a score. And that score is driven by those four components, as you mentioned. So peak is how high your glucose went at that any point in time. So during that day, what was the highest value? And we really want to keep our glucose below 140 for non-diabetics. So that's one component we're looking at. The second is average. So what was your average glucose overall? Maybe it never spiked that high, but it stayed kind of high, you know, throughout the day and your average overall was relatively high. Um, mm -hmm. The next one is the adaptability and that's our ability to stay within range. So we have that upper threshold of 140, but we also have a lower threshold. And so adaptability is our ability to stay within our desired threshold throughout the day. So that one is kind of driven by percentage. So how many minutes were you outside of the ideal range? Maybe you had a glucose spike to 140, but you were only outside of range for one minute. It came immediately back down. That would be really good adaptability. Whereas if you went above 140 and stayed above 140 for four hours, that wouldn't be as good of adaptability. It took a long time for you to kind of get back into those healthy ranges. And then the last one is variability which measures or represents what is called glycemic variability. And those are the swings in glucose or how much you deviate from the middle, the so standard deviation. There's a lot of research to show that sustained high glucose levels is actually produces healthier outcomes than somebody who has lower average glucose levels, but big swings all day. So if you're going really high and then really low and really high, that glucose roller coaster, that is really tough on the body, especially from a cardiovascular perspective. So it's really damaging to our blood vessels, creates a lot of inflammation, 
not to mention usually energy crashes, uh, cravings, mood swings. So we want to keep our glucose relatively stable. That doesn't mean it has to be a completely flat line. I think that's one really big myth that people misunderstand. It doesn't mean your glucose can't move or shouldn't move. It's just within normal ranges. So some variability is okay. Some glucose spikes are okay, but it's you know within those parameters and within what we would expect from a normal, healthy metabolic system. You know, I, I love the way you just explained that, and that's the last one. I, that's the one I want to focus on there, the variability. Um, isn't this, when you understand how variability is working, isn't this why A1C is such a horrible measurement to try to predict diabetes? Yeah, there are several reasons that A1C is not the most optimal measure out there. So um, as people have probably heard of it, you know, your hemoglobin A1C is a very common blood uh, lab test that people will get. And it's actually usually what diabetes gets diagnosed from. And it captures or it tries, estimates the average glucose for the past three months. So it is essentially measuring how much glucose is stuck to your red blood cells because um, that captures then how much average glucose is circulating throughout your blood. And your red blood cells on average live for 90 days. And so one big flaw of the A1C is that it's making the assumption that everyone's red blood cell lives for 90 days, which isn't always true. And so for a lot of people, maybe they have red blood cells that live longer or shorter, and that's going to skew the results of the A1C. And they're not, it's actually not that accurate. So things like anemia or blood loss or um, various nutrient deficiencies, several different genetic differences will change the red blood cell length and make that um, test not super accurate. The other reason that A1C is not capturing the full story is because it's only measuring the average. Yeah. So as we mentioned, average is an important component of glucose. Like it's still useful, but you could be having those big swings, that large variability and maintaining a very normal average at the end of the day. And then we would have no idea if we were only looking at A1C that you were having those big glucose spikes, big glucose peaks. And the other traditional glucose measure that you'll probably get um, on like a lab panel is fasting glucose, which again is useful. It does tell us some useful information, but if we're putting those things together, we never know how high your glucose is going, how much it's swinging. You know, we don't ever know some of these really important components, pieces of the puzzle, if we're only looking at those two metrics. So we're capturing people usually a lot later if we're only looking at those things. What we have found is people tend to have those high spikes and high swings way before their average and their fasting glucose starts to creep up. So if we could capture uh, glucose values with something like a CGM on people, we're probably going to find some what I call yellow flags, like early warning signs, much sooner than through some of these traditional metrics, which really is the goal of prevention and, and catching things early. It's a lot easier to make small tweaks sooner you quick thing, the sooner you're, you catch things rather than, you know, way down the road. It's still possible, of course, at any point in time to make improvements, but the sooner is always better. 
That was such a, a great explanation. Isn't it a fairly common pattern that as people start to lose some blood sugar control, and this happens over years, this isn't something that happens in a week or a month, it's years, and it happens really slowly, but don't they start into that pattern of big spikes up and big drops down, and you're going to get a pretty normal average, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's usually the pattern we see where that's kind of the first deviation from optimal that we see is, is those big spikes, sometimes occasionally, maybe it's only at one meal in the day that you're seeing that large glucose spike. And then glucose control starts to continue to decline over time um, if nothing is done about it. And then eventually those average glucose and that fasting glucose starts to creep up as well. But we can typically capture things through the spikes and swings first. You know, I want to ask you. And it takes decades, like you're mentioning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it takes I, I, a long time for that. All of those to slowly go in a different trend. I, I want to ask you about mm-hmm. some data I read. It's been a long time ago, and I don't really see it referenced a lot. And I'm wondering why I don't see it referenced more. It was uh, Dr. Kraft, I believe, that did all the work on insulin, mm-hmm. and and his assertion was that it really takes almost 10 years to diagnose somebody 10 years longer than it should to diagnose somebody that's becoming diabetic. Is, is that, is his data pretty accurate and reliable? This is, yeah, I've looked into his information a lot, super interesting. And you are correct that it is not referenced a lot, despite the fact that he published a lot of research I don't remember the exact number um, that you're quoting, but it is something along the lines of 10 years. He was a huge proponent and a lot of his research showed when you do an oral glucose tolerance test, which is essentially, you know, anyone who's ever been pregnant is aware of this because it's required during pregnancy screening. But other than that, it's very, very rarely used. You essentially drink a solution, a, a liquid that's pure glucose. It tastes like flat, right? It's pretty gross. (laughs) And then they measure your glucose typically like every 30 minutes afterwards and they see what happens. And this is in the, you know, traditional healthcare system, the closest we go, we get to seeing how our glucose responds to basically a glucose challenge. How high is it going to go? What does that curve look like? And what he found from measuring both glucose and insulin levels with the OGTPs, like oral glucose tolerance test, was that a lot of people were having those normal fasting glucose, normal A1C, and very abnormal responses to that test. You know, very high glucose spikes, um, very prolonged glucose response, so taking a long time to get back down into normal levels. Um, and, and that research is very interesting. It's, it's not used that often. I understand why the oral glucose tolerance test isn't used regularly in, uh, you know, traditional screenings because it takes two hours to do the test. So that's a long time for both the patient and right. the physician. Right. Um, but, but what we could do is send somebody home with a CGM <laughs> exactly. and the bottle of glucose and say, do this at home and I'm going to read your, your values from over here and I'm going to let you know how you did. Um, is that awesome. is a solution that, you know, I've been pushing for. I, I think maybe one day it's actually realistic that that could be um, adopted but it does provide a lot of interesting information and it really just highlights the fact that that is typically like if we're having really early signs of 
uh, metabolic dysfunction or, you know, maybe our, our metabolic system isn't 100% where it should be, you're usually going to see deviations in something like that before you see it in those traditional metrics. Yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting. He did, I, I forget the number of people he tested. I want to say it was like between fifteen and 18,000. It, it seemed to me like it was a crazy I know it's definitely number. in the thousands, but I can't remember yeah. the number either. It, yeah. it was such a high number, it's hard to remember. Uh, but I, I think I remember like 15,000. And he did a ton of work testing insulin. Which, you know, it's not easy to measure insulin, but that if we could get there, and I think we probably will someday, I think, isn't your company even working on things like that? It seems like I remember that conversation or maybe it's just that we'd love to be able to. We are not directly working on solving the problem. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But we're definitely talking to people that we hope are solving the problem. That's what I thought. Um, So we can help them build solutions, but... Yeah, insulin, because it's a hormone, um, it's just, it requires different types of assay to capture and measure. So the technology to continuously measure insulin doesn't exist yet. And it's a bit more complicated than continuously measuring things like glucose or even ketones, lactate, all of those metrics will come out um, probably available to be measured continuously much sooner than something like insulin will. But it's... I don't believe it's impossible, but it is more complicated. It, 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 yeah, I, I'm looking forward to the you know continuous ketone monitoring too. That would be awesome. Um, it was interesting. Yeah, definitely. The, the way it was described made so much sense. Why, you know, only using the two markers that the medical system uses: fasting, glucose, and A1C to diagnose diabetes, and and it made so much sense that early on. The human body is very, very good at handling even large loads of glucose um, by releasing enough insulin, and our cells are insulin sensitive, and and it holds, it, it brings that number down quick enough that we don't see it in fasting, and we don't see it in the average, even when people start to lose control. So it was it then, you know, the the continuous glucose monitor really kind of solves that problem. We can see the details now. We can see those things. And you mentioned the glucose tolerance test. I did kind of a, um, Lauren, you know, we, we've helped people with this. Just, just kind of a hack on that that we were able to do fairly easily. Um, we would have somebody, you know, with a finger stick monitor because that was the only tool we had. And we would have them take a baseline um, ideally, you know, if we did it in the morning. But if it take a baseline sometime in the day if you have haven't eaten for several hours, then we would have them eat a, a pretty high carbohydrate food with, with nothing else, like a cup of plain white rice or a, maybe a plain baked potato. And then we'd have them set alarms and check their, their blood sugar again at one, two, and three hours after. And, and that was about the best we had that might give us a little insight into what was going on. But um, the data we now can get from a continuous glucose monitor is just light years ahead of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love that you did that, though. It still does provide, you know, some information. I'm sure, of course, you're going to capture a lot more nuance when you get the continuous data. And it's also probably going to get more people who will actually do it because I don't have to prick their fingers four times. <laughs> but um, it still provides a lot of information. And we encourage our members who are curious to do something similarly with the CGM, you know, 
do a large glucose challenge and it can come from food. It doesn't have to be pure glucose from, you know, a sugary beverage. It can be the white rice or white potato um, and see, see what happens and see how your body can handle that challenge. It's not going to be something that you're eating, you know, every day. Most likely most people don't eat a plain bowl of white rice (laughs) with nothing else there, but it does give you some insight into kind of how, um, robust your your system is so to speak yeah the other thing i gotta say and and this was you know you mentioned earlier that that perfect 10 score doesn't come easy that's like nine years of working at it i really wish you know nine years ago before i started this i wish i could have worn a a cgm then um i I have a feeling Mm. i my numbers were probably worse than i would have thought at the time you know i wasn't I was about 40 pounds overweight. You know, I've lost 40 pounds. It, it's, I was just thinking about this. You know, we always talk health-wise kind of like decades, right? We talk about, well, I was like this in my 20s. And then in my 30s, I had gained weight and, you know, and, and I was on this prescription. And then in my 40s, this happened. And uh, the thing that I'm so grateful of, my 50s have been nothing but improvements in my health. I started right around just before I turned 52. I think I got pretty heavy into this and it's been nothing but improvement. So this whole idea of you're just going to go downhill as you get older is absolutely false. So I've made, you know, so many improvements in my 50s in my health. But I got to tell you, when you get metabolically healthy, that glucose tolerance test sucks. It made me feel horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I was shocked at how bad I felt. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I was shocked at how bad I felt. Um, You know, hitting your body with the load of glucose like that, my body hasn't seen that much glucose in a week, much less in, you know, two minutes. Yeah, absolutely. And I I love, first of all, your point about your 50s has been nothing but improving health. That's so incredible. I love that. Because I hate when people get stuck in the narrative of the opposite, that, you know, it only gets worse with time or so many people are like, oh, wait till you're 40. You're not going to be able to, you know, you're not going to be as healthy. And it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't mean it doesn't require hard work or um, discipline, but it doesn't have to be that way. You know, I've talked to so many people like yourself who are, are doing the opposite of that narrative. So I don't want people to get stuck in that because now suddenly, you know, if you think you have no power over your own health, then you're not going to do anything. So I want people to feel empowered. So I love that story. Um, but you're also really correct. Of the more healthy you get, the more things that deviate from that health or, or aren't actually healthy, the more you feel them. You know, you really enhance that mind-body connection. And this is, mm-hmm. you know, of what's normal is normal is normal. So a lot of people might be having these glucose swings all day and they're having crazy energy swings or energy slumps, or maybe they just generally don't feel good, but it's so normal that it, it just seems like that's how you feel. And then you start to improve things and then you realize how much better you can feel. And then when you go back to some of those habits, it's really become so much more um, obvious that those things feel bad and that helps to make it motivating to stick exactly. to what you're doing because <laughs> it just isn't as fun anymore oh, yeah. it doesn't like there's so many things that are just totally not worth it when you try them again <laughs> you, know, you know one of the i do want to talk I about agree more. yeah i i do want to talk about i want to come back to that point about some things that 
you know, I don't do anymore that I never thought I would have stopped. But um, a, a couple of uh, points here. Lauren, first off, I want to give you a chance to jump in here. Any any questions? We've hit so many topics, and I know we've been going pretty fast. Anything you I want know. to jump in? And- yeah, definitely. I was, I'd was. i love to talk about some variables other than, you know, like carb intake that really influence glucose. And I know that on your Instagram account, um, I love that you guys, you know, do like little tests to see how different people are triggered by, you know, what they're eating and how it's affecting them. So other than carbohydrates, what are the other things that, um, that you're seeing that may be surprising that can affect our blood sugar regulation? Yeah, great question. So there are several things and even thinking just outside of nutrition, we also really want to take into account some of the other lifestyle habits like how much you exercised or moved today. So the difference between I could eat the same exact meal, but I eat one and then I sit on the couch or I eat the other and I go on a 15 minute walk afterwards, you're going to see a completely different outcome from that. You know, simple movement, simple walking is going to make a big, big change. The other thing yeah. is when real quick time you're working. That's one of yeah. the biggest challenges that we face with the people that we work with on a regular basis because they are sitting, you know, staggered behind, you know, a, a steering wheel a lot of the day. So that has been kind of a challenge. And Kevin's created some very, um, you know, impactful workouts um, to do like on their breaks and whatnot. But that has just, you know, if you have any advice um, for that, that would be helpful because we do, you know, that's typically the people that we work with are the ones that aren't getting all that activity. Because I do know, 10-minute walk after you eat, 15-minute walk really does impact your blood sugar regulation. And Kara, to, to, yeah, to, to add ahead. to that, and, and it, it's even worse than it sounds, if you've traveled a long distance in a car, um, you might be thinking, well, you know, we, you stop to eat, then you have time, you can go take a walk. They are tightly controlled mm-hmm. on the hours they can drive. And it, it's one of the biggest issues in the industry. In fact, since 2018, they are now electronically monitored. It used to be that you filled out a paper logbook and you could fudge a lot. And we all did. Um, and it, it, that fudge factor gave you some flexibility, uh, even though we were cheating. Mm-hmm. We knew we were cheating. Um, with the electronic logs, now there's no cheating. It, the, the truck is monitored. When the truck gets turned on, they know it. When the truck's moving, they know it. And they are very restricted. They're allowed to drive 11 hours in a day and work 14 of those. They have to take a 30-minute break. But any other break during the day while they're driving takes away from their driving time. They can't add that on later on. Every time they stop that truck, they're losing productivity and they're paid by the mile, not by the hour. So every time they stop and take a break, they're losing money. And, you know, we, we try to say, look, you may yeah. have to make some hard decisions here between money and health, but you know how that's going to go mm-hmm. most of the time. I mean, we're, we're, we're about as successful as you can be, I think, helping people with this. But that is a really big challenge for us. How can we make that 11 hours of driving healthier? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a huge challenge. challenge. 
And this is where it's really important to make sure that your unique situation is taken into account, which is why we include the human component as well, the human coach, because it can be really easy to say, these are the ideal habits to follow. You know, it's really important to walk after meals. And a lot of people might be able to do that. But then in this situation, you, you literally can't, which means you need to adjust other factors. So sometimes it means compensating by being a little bit more regimented with your food because you're not going to be able to lean as heavily on movement or making mm-hmm. sure that you get in a really good workout outside of working hours because you know you're not going to be able to move as much during the day. So sometimes, you know, it's not a perfect life that we all live. We have these similar conversations with new parents where we talk about how important sleep is. That's another factor outside of physical activity to really um, be mindful of when you're thinking about optimal glucose levels is getting really good sleep. But a new parent, Mm -hmm. doesn't matter what their sleep hygiene is, they're not going to get good sleep. (laughs) So it's one of those things that that factor is now limited because of your circumstance. So how do we lean more heavily for that person on maybe um, nutrition or maybe they can use exercise more effectively because they're not going to be leaning as heavily on optimal sleep. And so sometimes it's really just understanding your circumstance and making the most of it. And so that's where nutrition becomes even more important, I think, in those circumstances of you know, we don't want to eat a really carbohydrate-heavy meal if then you're not going to be able to walk or move at all afterwards. Um, you know, that's mm-hmm. going to have an even bigger effect if now we're just sitting. So it's being really mindful of kind of the content of your food and maybe the timing of your meal. So there are other factors that I think that we can overemphasize when, when it's constrained. Um, and I'm sure, Kevin, you probably have really great tips of how to squeeze in exercise and I know for people who just do a lot of traveling, we usually recommend like even some body weight squats and you're filling up the yep. gas like can be yep. more, yeah. you know, more helpful than nothing. Yeah, great, great point. I want to stick on that. I have a lot I want to talk about around this topic right there, but I also want to be mindful of your time. I know we just went past an hour. Are you still okay time-wise? Yeah, I do have to jump at the end, uh, the top of the hour, So, but I have a couple more minutes. Okay. Um, Real quick then on that topic, there's so many things I want to do here. It, that is the exact approach we took. We, we can't control the lifestyle as much as we know we need to, and, and that's just the job. So we really did focus on the diet, and I kind of want to get your take on. We've really developed two of our own diets and specifically designed for truck drivers, taking everything into account. One, the time, the, the issue that we can't have them walk every time we think they should, their access to food on the road, you know, what is available when you're on the road, because that's a big, big issue that most people just don't realize. That's their yeah. life every day. It's not a trip once in a while where, you know, you can't find the food you want. This is their life every day. So the two diets we've developed, um, nutrient-dense keto, which was very, very low carb. And by the way, truck drivers have double the incidence of diabetes compared to the general population. Double. It's horrible. Um, So nutrient-dense keto were very, very low carb but we focused on nutrient density, organ meats, um, organic vegetables, the lower carb vegetables, um, you know, high quality dairy, if they handle dairy well. That was our, our first diet. We were wildly successful as far as results, people losing weight, getting off medications. Um, and, and then we 
saw some people didn't respond to that as well as we thought, women especially, and we have a, a lot of women drivers that face the same issues. And our, our most recent diet that we're still kind of working on, um, I'm calling it fermented carnivore. Um, the carnivore, it, it was so easy to say, you know, you try to explain keto to somebody and, and they, they can get really confused. And, you know, I'm trying to do it in a couple minutes on a radio show on a call. So we started seeing, you know, other practitioners having success with carnivore. And what we developed was fermented carnivore. You know, not a true pure carnivore, but we lean heavily on the animal products first. And we always emphasize the quality. You know, even though you're on the road, you can order high quality animal products from dozens of places around the country now, really well-run regenerative farms. And we teach them how to pressure can it. it it's now shelf stable. They can take their meat with them in the truck with no refrigeration which is a huge issue. And then the fermented vegetables, we're big believers in fermenting everything we can find. And again, it makes that product shelf stable for them to be able to take it in the truck. Yeah, that's awesome. I love both of those. I love those. I feel like some core foundations when you're thinking about nutrition for the circumstance of you know limited ability to move around and probably some underlying metabolic dysfunction or insulin resistance, most likely, and, and possibly also, you know, just like a general um, needing to lose weight, most likely, is focusing on high quality. As you're mentioning, it's got to be nutrient dense. Doing the, the dirty keto version is, might help you for a little bit, but it's not going to serve you in the long run. So really getting in those high quality nutrients but focusing most heavily on protein um, because that's going to help with satiety and that's also going to help with blood sugar balance. And so that means inherently minimizing carbohydrates overall. And I said minimize, not necessarily completely eliminate because as you mentioned, sometimes for some people, having some carbohydrates can actually be really beneficial. Um, We see keto work really well if, if you are relatively disciplined and um, under the circumstance typically of, Actually, we see a lot of women be very successful on keto, but it's not all of them. And so that's where you have to be flexible and willing to kind of experiment and see if it works for you rather than being, you know, completely dead set on must follow this, even if it doesn't feel like it's working. Um, But those foundations, nutrient density, really, really focus on protein and um, trying to kind of minimize carbohydrates, especially if you're having any sort of sign of insulin resistance. And especially if you're, physical activity limited are the kind of foundational building blocks that I would also recommend when thinking about nutrition in this circumstance. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Two, three things real quick, cause I know you got to go. These are going to be three real short things. Absolutely. Um, one, uh, one of the other things we're um, adding into the fermented carnivore, and I want to get your take on this real quick. We're trying to add as many sources of resistant starch as we can. Not a lot of them, but, you know, making that a part of the diet. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Uh, Yes, I think, and especially, you know, we didn't talk or I didn't mention on the fermented food as much, but I love, you know, fermented food is so good for you. It enhances the nutrient density inherently of the food. It's more flavorful and fun. So people are actually more likely to eat it and stick with it. And it also, of course, is good for our gut bacteria. 
And similar with resistant starch, which helps um, if you're, especially if you're wanting to include some carbohydrates, it's a really good way to do it is focusing on things that are more higher in the resistant starch, higher in some of those fibers, as long as it's, you know, tolerated. Okay. Some people, not everybody tolerates those as well. Excellent. Thank you. Point two, those kinds of specifics, you know, kind of digging into the diet and talking about the resistant starch and fermented and and more things. I'd love to spend more time with you. Could we do a part two of this? Yeah, absolutely. I'm always happy to come on and chat more. Excellent. I would love to do that. And now (laughs) since I I stole your analogy, I'm going to give you something in return. Earlier when you were talking about normal, um, one of the things I started saying was all of those things you described, I would not say they're normal. They're common, but they're not normal. Mm. Yeah, that's exactly right. They're common. I love that. Feeling yeah. that so we can swap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we almost use it as an excuse. Oh, well, my parents were diabetic. Oh, yep. well, so is your dog. So it's not genetics. It's your lifestyle. Um, But we've come to the point where we do think of those things as common. And I try to kind of shake people up, say, or it's normal. It's not normal at all. What you're experiencing is not normal for the human body, but it has become common. Absolutely. And just to follow up on that one thing that I also hear people say that's similar is, well, I'm doing like pretty good relative. You know, I only had one cookie when some people eat the whole box. And uh, the other thing I like to emphasize is your body doesn't know what other people are doing. You know, it's not a comparison where suddenly your body's going to be healthier because somebody else is doing it worse. So really, you know, getting back to the fundamentals there. That's an excellent point. All right, Carrie, I know we got to let you go here. Thank you so much. It's been an awesome hour. And I do want to get you back and do a part two of this where we really dive into some food and responses on the CGM. But I want to say this. I I make this statement all the time. Um, To go back to the doctor thing, I I hate when doctors are forced to do something, but if they were going to be forced to do anything, I wish any time they got any kind of an abnormal reading, they would be promoting the CGM. And I go even a step Mm -hmm. further than that. I'll, I'll tell everybody listening, you should wear a CGM at least once. Everybody, I don't care how healthy you think you are. I I knew what my scores were going to be before I put this one on. But uh, one other interesting point, the highest spike I had while I've been wearing the monitor this time had nothing to do with food. I've been working on a stress protocol for about two years on and off now where we really put the body through some very specific stressors all within an hour. I I have four things that we're doing real quick. It's like Wim Hof breathing, the cold exposure, uh, infrared sauna, and resistance training all in an hour. We do the breathing in the sauna to cut the time down. We're using an X3 resistance uh, band system that they can carry with them in the truck, and it's a 10-minute workout. But that that hour, I mean, my stress levels, we're measuring it on a, a Garmin device. My stress levels go through the roof in that hour. And that was the highest peak I had on my blood sugar. I was fasting. No food involved at all. Yeah, it's super fascinating what, you know, the different responses outside of food. You know, we only briefly touched on exercise and 
and sleep. But in part two, we can definitely talk about the stressors more. It's really interesting. Excellent. Excellent. Great. I have a bunch of them. Yeah, we'll we'll (laughs) let you run and we'll look forward to getting you back. Thank you so much for today. Oh, real quick. Um, How does somebody get started with your monitor if they want one? Yeah, so you would just go to our website, which is Nutrisense.io, and then you can sign up there. That's all it does. You know, it's all it takes is you fill out a quick questionnaire and you choose your plan. They just differ based off of commitment length. We have a month-to-month no commitment plan, and then we have longer plans depending on, you know, kind of your health goals and and how long you want to commit for. It gets cheaper the longer you commit, but you can always start with a month-to-month plan and then switch to a cheaper, longer commitment if you like it. Um, and that's all it is. You know, you fill it out, you sign up on the website, and then we take care of everything else for you. Excellent. I'm going to encourage everybody awesome. to go get one. And you do get great coaching, but we're going to double down on that. We're going to create a group on our website um, where we can share results and, and share uh, tips and tricks and what we're learning. So, uh, Kara, again, thank you so much. We're going to let you go. We'll talk to you again soon. It was a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Kara. All right. Laura. Kevin, real quick, I think we should mention that uh, we have a code, I think, to save for the NutriSense. Is that Ooh, I, something we have? Do we? That would be awesome. I don't know that kind of stuff. Let me check to see if <laughs> we, we do. We do. The team is right yes, there we do. on there top it of is. it. The code, <laughs> let me see, how does this? Oh. What a great code, too. You're going to get $25 off a one-month membership, and the code is Let's Truck 25 All one word, Let's Truck 25 you get $25 off a one-month membership. You got to go do this. this these, I absolutely love this thing. It's I, You know, I, I am a data geek, but there is so much good information <laughs> I get from this. Like that, that whole idea that, you know, we always focus on food, and we should. I mean, food is a huge part of all this, but the fact that my biggest spike happened while I was fasting. Yeah. Wow. While you were fasting. Well, at that point, let me think. um, I've been really strict about my eating lately. I had gotten kind of lazy there for a while. And my lazy is not really all that bad, but I, I got lazy. I might have you know, a snack later on in the evening, you know, nine or nine thirty. I was, I was doing more of that. And part of it is when your sleep gets really bad, your appetite control sucks too. I, I when I don't sleep good, I tend yeah. to crave, you know, sweeter foods and I, I don't even like sweet food. So my, my diet had <laughs> slipped a little bit there. So when I started the sleep protocol, which I'm going to be talking about later on today, we're going to finish that series as well. I got really strict with my food. I wanted to make sure, you know, I, that that wasn't part of my problem. So I've been very strict about not eating anything after seven o'clock at night. So this was just a couple days ago. So I know I didn't eat anything after seven and I was doing the workout at around 1130 because it was after I got off the air. So that's what, well, mm-hmm. that's like almost 18 hours, right? 17, some of fasting. And so I started wow. the protocol after just about 17 hours of fasting and I had a blood sugar spike of like 36 points. Wow. Yeah. Stress alone. Very but it, interesting. It, it makes sense 
stress is really we use we use this word all the time and i we we've talked about it but i still don't think people always connect this stress is nothing more than our fight and flight response fight flight freeze yeah. or what's what's there's they've, there's like four of them now it's fight flight freeze or faint i don't know i don't know I, the fourth I, one i think they're all f's now but, but it modulates it, it modulates glucose. Like exactly. it's, it's actually designed to save our lives so that glucose gets rushed into the bloodstream in a very, yeah, a very quick pace so that we can keep up with these emergency states. And I've been paying attention. So there are several days where when I go down to do the protocol, I'm just not feeling all that great. Mm-hmm. You know, not maybe I don't have the energy I wish I had. Maybe I didn't sleep as good my We'll be reporting on sleep, and it's all good news. Um, but at the beginning <laughs> of the workout, I'm not feeling that great. In fact, I'm I'm really pushing myself just to go do it. I don't even want to do it, really. Um, mm-hmm. When I get off the air, I'm starting to get hungry. You know, it's been 16, 17, 18 hours now since I've eaten by the time I get off the air, so I'm kind of hungry. Um, my energy levels are a little low because I just kind of, you know, expended it all on the show and i'd rather i mean if if i could just do what i wanted to do i'd rather just go eat a big lunch and take a nap right then um but instead i go down and i you know i know i need to do this the interesting thing is about 10 minutes into it the breathe and my i start with the breathing in the infrared sauna and I have another report on that. I have a, a new um, light system that I just started testing. It's pretty incredible. Um, I couldn't. I've been doing four full rounds of Wim Hof breathing in my infrared sauna for quite a while now, on and off with this protocol. I put. I took the the big light bar that was in there that I've been using uh, and testing, and I put in one of these new light bulbs that I'm I'm testing. I couldn't finish my fourth round. I lost in 20 minutes. This, this light makes you sweat so bad or good um, that in 20 minutes, I lost 1.1 pounds. In 20 minutes. In 20 minutes? In 20 minutes. There, oh was a, there was a puddle. I the, hope you drank a lot of water. Oh, yeah, a lot of cardio miracle. Um, that's my go-to. After, yeah, how was yeah. There you go. Yeah, it's, it's a big, big tumbler of cardio miracle is how I rehydrate. Yeah, there was a puddle on the bottom of the sauna. I've never sweat like that that in that short period of time. So I, I start with the breathing in the sauna, and I notice I start to feel pretty incredible. And then I go into my X3 workout yeah. and I was shocked at how good I felt. But then I looked, there's that big glucose swing. Th- that's the fight or flight. Glucose is an excellent source of quick energy. Oh, yeah. You know, that's why we want our bodies to be wow. able to use both fuels, fat primarily, and glucose when we need some. And it was pretty incredible to see that that like shot of glucose I mean, I, I got a really good workout in, and I was feeling really good. And then I finish with the uh, with the cold shower, which feels fantastic after all of that. So uh, I'm pretty excited about all of that. 
Well, I'm excited to get Kara back on at some point because I was only getting started. I know. I know. I, <laughs> I have I, so I, many questions. I'm so yeah, intrigued. <laughs> there, you know, I wanted to focus on all those big picture things, but then I really did want to get down mm-hmm. to those. You know, does fructose spike your blood sugar? She had mentioned pineapple affected her different than than other foods, and I've noticed that as well. Um, you know, Well, fr- I love this as a tool for people who don't understand when they are not eating, you know, certain things and they just can't figure out what is going on with their blood sugar regulation and why they're plateauing and they're not losing the weight and all of these things. This is a tool that it just sheds insight into your individualized um, way that your body breaks things down and how it handles things. Because what works for, you know, maybe I can have a banana and I won't show a spike at all. Maybe right. you can have a, a banana and you show a huge spike. Yeah. So I think I think that's really the next step, you know, to everything that we do and when we work with people is saying what exactly is causing these spikes because it could be something you don't even think is ca- you know would cause it, but it is for you individually. Yeah. So it's or, interesting. Or I discovered something that I was really excited about. I've been we we made. Um, <laughs> You know, with the garden, I'm not going to go into a big garden thing, but I, I said we had a huge tomato harvest. We canned um, over 75 quarts of tomato products, you know, sauce, salsa. Amazing. Uh, yeah, just so we've got this amazing, um, really meat-heavy spaghetti sauce that, that Lisa kind of created the recipe. Uh, it does have a lot of meat in it, some sauce, mostly sausage. Um, really, this mm-hmm. this sauce is just incredible. Um, but of course I want to put it over pasta, right? So we know there's all the new, you know, versions of grain-free pasta on the market. Now there's, there's, I can't even Mm -hmm. keep track of them. They're making pasta from all kinds of crazy stuff now. And it's really good. (laughs) So I was looking at, I was at the store and I'm looking at all these new options. We've tried several and I see one is cassava flour. And I'm like, Oh, well, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So I can't believe I did this, but I grabbed like six boxes of this stuff. Like, and it's fairly expensive, but I grabbed like six boxes, different shapes. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. I get it home. I look at the label and I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? One serving, two ounces, two ounces of cassava flour pasta. It's gr- the only thing in it is cassava flour and water. That's it. So it's clean. Mm-hmm. Two ounces yeah. is like... 53 grams of carbs. Wow. (laughs) And the box, they're they're small boxes. It's three servings, so it's only six ounces. But Lisa and I would split the box. And I started thinking, I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, exactly. That's 75 (laughs) grams of carbs in one shot. I'm like, "What, what the hell was I thinking? But guess what? Oh my gosh. My blood sugar only went up like 24 points. Wow. I know. But that's for you. That's for you. But for other people, it may not be the case. That's absolutely true. No doubt. And that's why the monitor is so important. But I, I should have seen a much bigger spike than that. If I do 75 grams of carbs in anything else, I would see a bigger spike mm-hmm. than that. I would probably see huh. 40 to 50 points 
which would still be okay for me because I tend to spend most of my day in the 70s. So even 50 points only spikes me to 130. I'm still under that 140 range and it will come down pretty quick. But I was shocked. It only spiked about half of what I thought it should. And, but I understand why. Cassava flour why is, is that? very high in resistant starch. That's all measured as carbohydrates. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good point that I definitely didn't think of. Yeah. And I wouldn't have thought of it except wearing the monitor gives me all that data and makes me start questioning <laughs> these things. How could I possibly eat 75 grams of carbs and not? I only had a bump. You can't even call it a spike. I had a bump. It, why? Yeah, that seriously. doesn't make any sense. It, if I eat 75 grams of, you know, white rice that was just cooked, I'd have a 40 to 50 point jump. Or if I ate, you know, mm-hmm. something sweet, you know, with, with, you know, even maple sugar or honey or those things will spike my blood sugar. And I know how much of, the, of them I can consume and stay in a good range. But the, the cassava flour thing was really interesting. So what that's telling me now I get to really enjoy a nice six or uh, yeah, is it two ounces is a serving there? Yeah, so it's a nice big bowl of pasta. I mean, we we had it last night. It is uh, for dinner. It's a nice big bowl of pasta with this amazing sauce. So I'm getting lots of meat and the tomatoes, and we put all kinds of. Sometimes we throw carrots and beets uh, in our spaghetti sauce. I don't think we did in this one this year. Um, and, and then, so you know, some really good um, uh, Parmesan cheese on top, the good stuff. It's an amazing meal. And I'm getting probably more resistant starch than just pure carbs. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So question, my culinary brain side of my brain is asking me, how was the pasta texture-wise? Was it enjoyable? I love it. The only thing about it, I will say this, it does not hold. You know, most pasta is really good if you cook it the right way the first time, traditional wheat pasta. But you can throw pasta in the refrigerator and it's not as good the next day. It loses a little bit of its texture and, but, but it's good. It's edible. Two hours after Mm -hmm. you've cooked this stuff, in my mind, it's not even edible anymore. Okay, good to know. But yeah. you enjoyed it right oh, I, out, you know, right when it was done, you know, cooking. Have you ever had like a whole wheat pasta? Uh, not recently, but in the past right. I have. Yeah, it's so traditional yeah. pasta is made from white flour. But, you know, when, mm-hmm. when they were telling us whole wheat was so much more healthy, you know, I switched <laughs> to whole wheat pasta. Exactly. Yeah, what a mistake that was. I should yeah, have stuck. Yeah, same. yeah, it's worse actually. But <laughs> um, if you can kind of remember what whole wheat pasta was, the cassava flour reminds me more of that. It, it's actually got a little more texture. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's, it's yeah, it's like a kind of a little denser, but not in, a, in an all dente right. way, in like a different. Way. It, it, yeah. That's exactly right. I know exactly what you're saying. And that's that's okay. what this is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah so okay. I, I, that makes sense. I think okay. I think the brand is called Jovial. Oh, now, I've had Jovial. I haven't tried the the cassava though, but I've tried their uh, their other. I don't even remember what kind. Pro- they 
Yeah, I don't remember what they time, actually but I've make. Tried it before. I, I want to warn people: Jovial also makes. So this one will be called grain-free pasta. Jovial makes a line that's called gluten-free. Stay away from that. It's what a difference. Ooh. The grain-free is cassava flour and water. The gluten-free is like. Mm-hmm. Brown rice is one of the first ingredients. Brown rice syrup is in there. There's all kinds of, there's lots of grains in there, just not gluten. Interesting. And some, you know. Okay. Yeah. So be careful with the the jovial. Make sure you're getting the, and I I hope I've got this right. I've, I've tested so many of these pastas. I might be confusing them, but I don't think so. I should probably look it up. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cassava flour and water, I think, are the only ingredients in there. So uh, Great. Good to know. So much going on today. We're doing a live one-on-one today, aren't we? I see we have Kent. We are. We're doing, we're having Kent back on, and he, he was a call-in from last week that you asked him his cholesterol his, numbers. Of, um, like his range is a cholesterol. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So we have two other calls. So Kent, I see we've got you there. Everybody's been very patient. Thank you. Uh, Nick has been on the line just about since we started this almost. So I'm going to take these two calls, Lauren, you and I are, uh, and then we'll get to Kent. How's that sound? Perfect. All right. Sounds All good. right. Nick in Pennsylvania. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Um, a little update since we last spoke. I love uh, Well, I started, for the listeners that don't know, my um, uh, journey, I guess. My heaviest was 5, 6.4. Oh, wait a minute. You broke As up. of this morning. Hold on. You broke up just a little bit. Say that number again because I didn't get it. I know what it is, but I didn't hear it this Five, time. 576.4. Wow. Wow. Okay. As of this, and it, and it never slowed me down. That's incredible. Wow. <laughs> that, yeah. Not. That's incredible. Not a, not a single day. I, not a single day. I unloaded my truck every day. Wow. That's amazing. It is. Where are we now? As of, as of this morning, 3.05. Wow. Wait a minute. Wow. <laughs> Way to go. That is incredible. Now, that is, that is the point of my call today. That's incredible. Weeks, Good for you. Two weeks ago, I basically collapsed and was taken by ambulance. Fail had a stress test done, which come back positive. So I have listened to the show throughout this morning here. And was at the cardiologist and they all go, well, we're not really sure, but we want you to go on this poison statin, the highest dose they can give you, but, um, nothing makes sense, but all the blood work looks good. But now we want to go in and do an invasive because we want to go look at your heart from the inside. And I'm going, 
that doesn't make sense to me. But when I bent over to unplug the table saw, because I worked my rear end off, I'm no longer driving. I had that sharp pain in that rubber band feel. Okay. Around my heart. So it's like they want me to change. They want me to stop being active. So doing my normal life. Nick, let, let me stop you here. Um, I am going to make a very, very strong recommendation. Very strong. Um, I don't even know how strong I can make this. If you follow their advice, you are going to undo almost all of the good stuff you've already done. You've done incredible work getting your weight down, which is the absolute first step. So many other things have changed that they're not even looking at because they never do. And all of their advice is going to undo what you're doing right now. And, and that would be tragic. I, I really, really am going to recommend that when you get off this call, you contact Dr. Wolfson's office. Have you heard me talk about him before? He's going to be on the show here pretty soon. He's, he's, uh, he's booked for several um, uh, times on the show with us. We're, we're actually trying to work it out so he can almost become like a, a co-host uh, and be on the show pretty regularly. Have you heard me talk about him? I have not. I have not okay. been able to follow the show so, since quitting me, driving, me, and money has become an object. Um, Nick, I, I, I'm known for speaking out about things that we might do as a company or a group just off the top of my head, and, and I'm going to do that now. And I can't promise you anything, but in my head, if I have to, and, and we've almost never do things like this, but if we have to come up with some sort of a fundraiser to help you on this, I, I'm going to try to do that. Like I said, I, I, a lot of times I, I can't speak for everybody in our company and, and what we can and can't do, but I have quite a bit of control over it, um, and, and I'm going to try. I, I'll, I'll give you that now. If money is the issue here, we'll try to come up with a solution and help you with that. Let me, let me tell you why this is going to be so critical. Dr. Wolfson is a, was, for a very long time, a traditional cardiologist. Very highly trained, very highly acclaimed. His father was a cardiologist. It, it's, he was deep into that world. He married met a, a chiropractor at a conference and, and chiropractors are known. Most of them are much more natural. They may not be all the way to where we are and the way we do things. Many of them are now, but, but they've always been looking for more natural approaches than traditional doctors do. She, you know, kind of set him down that path and he quit cardiology traditional cardiology quit completely. And he actually made the statement on the air when the, I think it was the first time we've had him on the show. We've had him on several times over the last couple of years. He made the statement, I spent my whole time in cardiology killing people. And he said, I want to spend the rest of my life trying to make up for that. So he knows all of the stuff that your cardiologists know now, probably more than most of them. He, he was really good. 
he knows all of that stuff. He knows he he would he did every procedure you've been through a million times. He prescribed the statins over and over because that's how that system works. He is so critical of that whole system now and admits he spent his career killing people. You know how hard that is to say? He he, he didn't get into mm-hmm. medicine to kill people. He got into medicine to save their life and to find out and it, be able to admit that that he was killing people and then to say, I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to make up for that. That's why I want you to go see him. He's an amazing man. And he is the, he is exactly what you need right now. Okay. I mean, we, we, so, and that's why I reached out. Yeah. We can help you with diet and lifestyle and all those things. But I, I know nothing about cardiology. And I would never claim that I did. And I, I can't sit here and say, no, you shouldn't do that procedure. But Dr. Wilson can, and he will. My question was more of the, the statin end. And, and I'm going, no, no, that's, that's poison, I, and I know I, it. I, I have very, very strong opinions on statin. We, um, we have a, um, a show I did. Uh, I don't know how we can identify it in our, uh, on our app. All of our past shows are there, but we haven't gotten to the point yet. It's what the programming team is working on right now the ability for us to identify a specific show and name it. I know it sounds simple, but we're building all of our own software from scratch right now. It is simple. All of this stuff, we know we can do it all. It's just a matter of time. And we wanted to get the app out there and make sure people could listen. But right now, the only identifier for a show is what show it was on. Like, is it Destination Health or is it the Pit or the Power Hour and the date? And somewhere in there in Destination Health is a show that I did all about statins. And I, I have, I, again, I'm not a doctor, but my opinion is nobody should be on a statin. Nobody. I, I, I just, there, there are mm-hmm. so many downsides, almost no upsides. And I, but again, I would also rather you hear that from Dr. Wilson. And I agree, and that's why I was calling today just to re-verify everything that I've been through. You know, I've been through the keto course, and I've followed you for a long time going, you know, I've I've done this hard work. Exactly. I don't you want know, to I've see done, them. You know, I don't want to see your doctors undo it. All of this because I take a... Yeah, exactly. Well, the statin is just the start. The statin is just the start of the damage they're going to do. Everything they're going to recommend, I I know this sounds horrible, but everything they're going to recommend is wrong. It's the, uh, they're going to do this test and then this test, and then it's going to be, well... I've always believed a sick patient is a returning it's, patient. That they will keep you sick. It's, the rest it's of about your life. money to them. Here's what they're going to attempt to do. And I, look, I don't think that any of these doctors have this in their mind. Doctors became doctors. You know, some people came, became doctors because they make a lot of money. 
But most people would not put up with doctors have to put up with. They would not do that job just for the money. Most doctors, I truly believe, want to help people. But the, the system is set up to do two things. One, it's to, it is set up to keep you alive as long as possible, but to keep you sick that whole time. Agreed. Because if you die, they can't make any money off it's of you. Not, they it, don't want you to die, but they don't want you to get better either. They don't want you to live the most healthy, Correct. perfect life. Correct. Freely. And again, I, I, I don't believe there's a doctor anywhere that thinks that way. I really don't. But the system has been so corrupted that that, that is how the system works. Very true. It's it's it is driven by money. The wrong resource. It's just money. This is a this is an easy. It one. is. It is driven by the bottom line and nothing else for both the medical community and the insurance community. It's all designed to make a whole bunch of money. Very true. And I will tell you that. I, I do want you to reach out to Dr. Wolfson and go through the options and, you know, be right up front and find out what this is going to cost you. Um, and, and I would find out what the best possible option they offer. That one of the options is you work directly with Dr. Wolfson, I believe. And or you may work with his health coaches who are outstanding and he's monitoring it. I want you to find out the price of what Dr. Wolfson thinks would be the absolute best option for you. And then we know what we're dealing with. And, and I will tell you, it's going to be sticker shock. This is going to be in the several thousands of dollars because insurance won't cover any of this stuff, believe it or not. Okay. So if, if, if I, mon- I, I realize money is an issue, I get that. I'm very sensitive to that. We, we, I will start to brainstorm. I'll ask listeners and, you know, our team. And uh, if we can come up with something, we'll do what we can. Okay. I definitely appreciate it. Um, if you could put me back on hold then and have uh, somebody get me that information or forward that, I would greatly appreciate it. I Thank will. you very and, much and for what you do. You're welcome. And I want to explain to people why sometimes I single out cases like this. I really, really want to help people who have already proven that they're helping themselves. And nobody's proven that in my mind more than what I just heard from you. Thank you. All right, I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to talk to you soon. Uh, let me make sure I put him on hold and I don't hang up on him like I tend to do sometimes. There we go. Uh, Angie, could you, I know you're already probably on it. Take care of that for me. Thanks. Uh, let's go to uh, Iowa. One more call and then we're going to get to Kent. Uh, Tim, welcome. Oh, Kevin. What's on your mind I today? I have a question. I have a question concerning the mechanics of alcohol and ketosis, and I mean how that stops the ketosis process, and at what point 
after alcohol consumption, can you get back into ketosis state? Excellent question, and this this is one of the topics I really wanted to talk about with Kara, um, alcohol in general and how it affects our body. So I, just to give you the history, um, I grew up in a family where alcohol was everywhere, um, every gathering, every event, um, mostly beer. I mean, it was a beer-drinking family. Um, I grew up working next to my dad out in the garage. That was his favorite thing, turning wrenches. Um, there was a kegerator in the garage. And I, I can remember as early as 14, um, if I was working out in the garage with my dad and I wanted to have a beer, it was okay. Uh, I'm a little horrified by that now, but that's how I grew up. Um, yeah, that was kind of my family. Um, at, you know, when I was just out of the army, I started brewing my own beer. I got into craft beers and started brewing my own and loved it. I, there was a time early on, teenage years, army, um, I was a binge drinker. You know, not an everyday drinker, but I, I'd go out and get pretty hammered on the weekends and look forward to it. And um, not long after the, the army, I stopped the heavy kind of binge drinking. I, I really just did not. In fact, there was probably a 20-year period where I drank alcohol every day, but never was I even close to being drunk. Or, you know, I, I just wasn't. I mean, it, to me, it turned into, instead of, you know, 12 beers on Friday night, it turned into a beer or two every night, you know, with a glass with dinner, maybe a glass after. And then for some reason, beer stopped agreeing with me. I just didn't feel good when I drank it, but probably my body trying to tell me something. Uh, so I switched to wine and for 20 years, had two glasses of wine every night, never really got drunk, but drank wine every night. And you know, justified it by saying, oh, but they tell us two glasses of wine for an adult male is actually healthy. Didn't they tell us that, Lauren, for years? Yes, they did. <laughs> yeah. They didn't tell you the, the sugar content wasn't healthy, but they did say that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's got resveratrol and, you know, it, it helps relax <laughs> you and that's healthy. So you're not so strict. What an absolute crock of bullshit. What a total lie. Mm -hmm. As much as I've enjoyed mm -hmm. alcohol over my lifetime, it is a very, very, very small part of my life now. I, I, I'm not going to say that I've quit drinking, but I can't tell you the last time I had any alcohol. It's been months, and then it was months before that. It's a pretty rare thing right now. Um, if somebody stopped over tonight with a bottle of wine, a friend stopped over, I'd have a glass. So I'm not going to say I'm a non-drinker, but I, I don't drink very mm -hmm. often. And I don't because alcohol is a toxin to the human body. There's no way around that. I don't care what it comes with. The little bit of resveratrol here and there relaxes you fine. It's a toxin to the human body. Wear a glucose mm. monitor and drink a couple glasses of wine or a couple beers or whatever your drink of choice is, and you will see the craziest readings in your blood sugar ever. It is all over the board, high, low. It, it's a mess. Um, and ketones go away completely. You will not produce a ketone after you've had some alcohol. I don't, and most people I've tested don't. There are, I'm sure there are some exceptions out there, um, but it is difficult 
to produce ketones after alcohol. And it takes about 24 to 36 hours to clear that out, to get my blood sugar back to normal. And if your blood sugar is out of whack, your ketones are going to be out of whack. Those two go hand in hand. You can't have high blood sugar and high ketones. If you did, you'd be in ketoacidosis, which is uh, life-threatening. That typically only happens to, yeah, typically only happens to diabetics on insulin, type one or type two on insulin. But a lot of the new diabetic drugs, even if you're not on insulin, the, the new diabetic drugs, the number one side effect for most of them is the risk of ketoacidosis. So when your blood sugar gets out of whack, you're not going to make ketones. And it, it usually takes me about 36 hours before I can get back to a fairly normal blood sugar and start producing ketones again. The biggest reason is that ketones are produced in your liver. Your liver has to process all that alcohol. And your liver does over 500 things in your body. Lauren, you've heard that phrase, right? I mean, that's a pretty common... Yeah, yeah. I mean, the liver is responsible for a lot. It's very important, Oregon. I I just thought of something. Is there a list out there somewhere? I've never Hmm. seen one. I've never seen one. We need to go look for that. Not a thorough list of of everything that it does. You and I could probably rattle off, you know, 10 to 20 if we tried really hard. But I don't know what those 500 things are. It's a lot. So when, no, you're, when your liver has to stop doing a lot of those 500 things to deal with this toxin you keep putting in your body. And I don't mean you. I don't know how much you drink, but me. My liver had to stop doing what it was doing because I was putting toxin in my body every day. What a stupid thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they're talking about there's a lot of focus on what it's doing to the brain now, how it's, you know, diminishing the brain. And so, yeah, there's a lot of new research coming out about how what alcohol actually does to the brain. So somebody drinking two to three beers a day is never going to get back into ketosis. I... I would, you know, I'm never, I'm not going to say never or nobody because I I don't know that there may be some exceptions out there. There may be people that drink a couple beers a day and, but it's, I will tell you it's rare for two reasons. One, now there's some super low carbohydrate beers on the market now. So if you stuck to that, that would help a little bit because a traditional beer will wipe out ketones. Two reasons. One, it's just too many carbohydrates. Your body won't produce ketones with that many carbohydrates around, and it won't produce ketones with alcohol around. Yeah, and see, and that's actually, this is a friend of mine that's very knowledgeable, has a degree in, in biology, and he's saying that he can't find anything against drinking beer other than the carbohydrate and he is consuming a very low carb beer but he doesn't think that's affecting keto- keeping him out of ketosis so and here's here's, here's one here's one the possibility the carb, but well it's both it's both but even i i've even tested virtually zero carbohydrate alcohol like potato vodka 
very, very low carbohydrate, no grains. It's made from potatoes. Uh, tequila is made from the agave plant, no grain. Most liquors are made from grain, corn, wheat, rye, barley, all that stuff. But, you know, I've even tried to get away from the grains and the carbohydrates. For me, no ketones whatsoever. I mean, it just wipes them out. Now, I could think of a scenario, somebody much larger than I am, you know, I'm a pretty small guy. I'm down to about 145 pounds now. Um, you know, somebody at 230, uh, much bigger, drinking a very low-carbohydrate, low-alcohol beer. You have a couple of those. Maybe that's not enough alcohol for somebody like that to completely get bumped out of ketosis. That, that's, you know, Lauren, you've mentioned this several times on this call, um, and so did Kara. This is why... I don't want people to look at my test results from a CGM and think that their results are going to be the same. Same thing here. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's a there's an example yeah. where maybe maybe he says he does have two beers, uh, but maybe they're like you know barely four percent alcohol. The wine that I was drinking is twelve percent most of the time. Even when I brewed beer, most of my beers were very very high alcohol. That's the way I brewed them. I brewed craft beers that tended to be up in the 10 and 11% range for alcohol, which is high for a beer. But a lot of these crazy, light, low-carbohydrate beers don't have a lot of alcohol in them either. So even with a low-carb and a low-alcohol beer, if he's drinking, these guys... Is he, I say, 5'10", 175, 180 pounds. So he's not a, a huge guy either. So let me ask you this. a really small is, guy. Is he, is he producing ketones? Is he testing it? He knows that he is. Well, no, not specific ketones. And that's the question I'm going to have to ask him. I'm not even sure if he's monitoring his glucose. So that's... That's one thing I'm going to take back to him and ask him to see what his levels are, if he knows what his levels are. Oh, yeah. And, uh, if he's, and go from there. Yeah, if this is just him and him saying, you know, well, here's how I feel or I know. It, it, well, no, show me the numbers. It's the only way we can know this. Right. Yeah. Right. Because, I mean, like I said, this guy is, is highly intelligent and has – uh, background in nutrition or nutrients in this and and but he can't wrap his head around you know how alcohol is affecting that or he can't well, find any data to support that well part other of other than the carbohydrate but. yeah um well if he's that intelligent he understands biology he he knows what his liver has to do his liver has to process right. all that alcohol. Yeah. He has to understand that, and he should also understand that it's the liver that has to produce ketones. So it's not really that much of a stretch right. to say, well, if we keep giving this extra job to our liver that it's not supposed to have to do, alcohol is not supposed to be in the human body. So we're, we're, we're making our liver do something it shouldn't have to do. I don't think it's that much of a stretch to say, I, I don't have... You know, I, I, I might have something somewhere, but I mean, I'm not relying on, you know, pure scientific data here. I'm relying on the fact that first, it makes sense that, you know, this could be a cause of why I'm not producing ketones. And then I've tested it enough in my own body to know it's an absolute fact. 
There's no doubt in my mind how alcohol affects me. I don't produce ketones. Yeah, well, he, mm-hmm. this guy's uh, older than I am. I'm 61, but he's got the mindset mindset of our current medical system, you know, so that's where his basis is coming from. Yeah, he's not a yeah. doctor. Well, right, right. But, so l- let's just look at, boy, I could go, I could do a whole show on this topic. Um, let's just look at how our society treats alcohol. It celebrates it everywhere. It's in all of our favorite sporting events are all sponsored by alcohol. We all, and I'm, I am not non-alcohol. I mean, like I just said, I still drink. I drank most of my life. What convinced me not to or to cut way back was real true health data that I've measured over and over and over. But when you look at our society, we celebrate alcohol. We, we brag, oh, I got hammered this weekend. You know, it, 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 and nobody blinks an eye. If I come on here and I say, I, I'm going to give you an example, and I, I want people to think about their reaction to when I'm telling this story, because I know what it is for most people, not everybody. But if I came on here and said, Lauren, you know, I, I, we, Lisa and I made this amazing dinner last night and, you know, we did a, an appetizer and an entree and a, you know, a nice dessert without a lot of sugar. And we paired a really nice wine with each course, you know, and I could go into detail. We had this really nice crisp Sauvignon Blanc with the appetizer to cut the fat. And we had this beautiful, you know, Beaujolais, nice fresh red wine to go with the, the, the meal, and then we had a nice little dessert. People would love that, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And some people would call me a wine snob, and there probably a time that I was. <laughs> um, but there would be almost no negative reaction, right? Yep. Now, Very true. imagine if instead I told the story, that, you know, before I started cooking dinner last night, I fired up the bong and I had this new strain of cannabis that's really excellent, made the food taste so good. That now, what's the reaction to that story? <laughs> You're going to have some judgment. Totally opposite. Exactly. Yeah. But I will tell you, health-wise, I've measured it over and over and over. I can find absolute negative health consequences to just small quantities of alcohol once in a while. Small quantities of cannabis once in a while, no negative health consequences whatsoever, and actually some health benefits. Now, like anything else, you overdo cannabis, start doing it every day, you are going to have negative health consequences. I'll be the first to admit it. I don't think... Even though the first time I did it, I was probably 13 and did it quite often through my teenage years. That's a horrible idea. If I could go back, I wouldn't do that. There's, we, we now know that the, the brain at that age is negatively impacted by cannabis at that age because it's still forming. But I can, with all the testing I've done, small amounts of cannabis once in a while actually have a, a net health benefit and no real downsides that I can find. I can never say that about alcohol. And yet our society treats the two exactly opposite. 
I, I've even said the, the, if I I don't get into compliance and legal issues and trucking, I hate that stuff. If I were ever to go probably fight for something, and I'm sure I'm going to get a negative reaction from a lot of people for this, I would fight for the right that if every other American is allowed to smoke cannabis in a state where it's legal, drivers should be allowed to as well. And I would not say that until they came up with a very good roadside test. Because if you're caught driving under the influence of cannabis, you should lose your license. I would be the first one to say... Just like alcohol. Exactly. I would be the first one to say, do not do it until we have a good, accurate roadside test. And when we do, if you're caught, you lose your license. But why is it okay for a truck driver to get hammered the night before, wake up, maybe the alcohol's out of his system, it can't be measured, but we know how you feel after you've done that. You are not at your best, not even close. In fact, you are impaired driving, I believe, with a, with a nasty hangover. But it's completely legal. Cannabis has no effect like that. You can smoke cannabis the night before until you pass out. You wake up the next morning, there's virtually zero effect. But, but you can't do that. It, it's just, it's so hypocritical the way we treat these two things. Fortunately, very true. Well, I think I've got what I need to go back and talk to this friend of mine. And, and uh, he comes up with some more questions. I'll maybe oh. just have him call you directly. I, I was just going to say, maybe you two should call together. That's that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll broach, that, broach that with him, and we'll go from there. Excellent. You're a good friend. Well, thank you very much. All right. You guys have a great day. Talk to you soon. You as well. All right. Boy, what a morning, huh, Lauren? <laughs> yes, definitely. Good, good information. Good stuff going on here. We've been all over the place. Anything you want to mention or... <laughs> talk about and wrap up before we move on to our one-on-one with Kent? No, no, I think, I think I'm pretty ready for the one-on-one actually. Got it. All right. So I am going to bring Kent on. I'm going to let you lead this one. So I'll be kind of there right. back. You know, I'll jump in, I'll interrupt. I always do. Um, but I'm going to kind of let you. Oh lead. yeah. I'd love to hear your, your input. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You've done all the work on this one. You've, you've done the, the heavy lifting, so I want to uh, let you guide us through this one. So let's bring Kent in. Kent, welcome back. Uh, good morning. Hi, good morning, How Lauren. How have you been? Good morning. I, I've been good. I've been good. Good. So, good. good to hear. Well, thank you I, so I've much. I've been listening for... to the show, and I, oh. I think some, some answers <laughs> were revealed. So. <laughs> Good. That's the whole hey, point of the show. So that's great to hear. Hey, guys, hold on one sec. Well, actually, you don't have to hold on. You guys keep going. I'm going to drop out of here for just a couple minutes. So I, I'll let you know when I come back. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Sounds good. Okay, Kent. So out of curiosity, yeah. what, uh, what really, um, what, like what light bulb went off when you uh, were listening to the show? I'm curious to hear. 
Well, I, just the last caller talking about ketones and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I was, I'm probably not in full ketosis because of that, but I'm still losing like a pound a day. Yes. And when I looked at your NutriCube, by the way, I, I would just want to start by thanking you for, you know, doing all the legwork and making sure we had all the information that we needed. So um, that consisted of taking the NutriCube, which is a very in-depth mm-hmm. questionnaire that helps us. Um, yes, it, it basically asks you, yeah, it is, but it basically asks you what's going on in your body and uh, reflecting on symptoms that you're experiencing. So thank you for doing that because it gives us some great insight into where you are health-wise. And then uh, the food journal and then also the, um, it's basically like an intake form, which just gives us some, some background information as well. So thank you for doing that. And I did notice on the NutriQ that alcohol was on there. It wasn't the one of the top things that, that really stuck out, though. And, um, okay. and I'll get back to, to what really did stick out. But alcohol is on here. And you, you put that you drink it about, you consume alcohol about two, I don't know, you, weekly. So now that we have you yes. in person, how much alcohol... And how often would you say? Uh, like I do bourbon. I like the bourbon. And I put mm-hmm. it on the rocks. And it's probably four to five ounces when I in a sitting and I sip on it through the night. Okay. So four to five ounces. So when you have it, it's one it's one glass. One, yeah, one drink like that. Four to five ounces of bourbon on ice. On ice. And how many days a week would you say? About three. Okay. You know, every other. Okay. And I, I was that that's where I was thinking that it knocks down my ketones and it never gets to come back full. And that is true. You know, that is absolutely full. true. Fully okay. get you. Yes. You're cause you have to adjust. Your body has to adjust after having alcohol. So you're yep, absolutely it starts right. probably picking up, and then I drink again and it knocks it down again. And then it starts picking up and knocks it down again. <laughs> yes, yes. So maybe cutting back on some of the alcohol could help. Yep, yep. Um, but let's let's just remind remind everyone. So last week you called in because you were concerned about your cholesterol, and Correct. you gave us you know your numbers that were concerning to you, and when Kevin took them and wrote them, you know, kind of plugged them into his little calculator that he uses. Yeah. He was very concerned. So he offered to do a free one-on-one with you live on the air, which is what we're doing right now. And so, and, and so that was before we had a chance to, to take all the information that we did. So the NutriQ, like I said, great insight. One of the things that I pulled from the NutriQ that I think is very important and it was a it was a key factor that we are missing is that you are a cigarette smoker. Yes. Yeah. So I, I am uh, quit. Uh-huh. I've quit for five years and then I started smoking, and then I quit for another two years. I quit smoking and then I quit for another two years again and then I started smoking again. Okay, so you've quit before, so you know that you can do oh, it. Oh, yeah, I know what it's like to quit. I know what it feels like. 
Okay. Then I get bored. Um, I get bored. Okay. All right. But if I were to tell you that the cigarette smoking alone can cause issues with cholesterol, would that perhaps, perhaps, you know, get you motivated to to quit or cut back at least? Yes. (laughs) So, so Um, how many cigarettes are you smoking a day? I am back. Oh, you know, and, oh, great. And, I got here right at the right time because I went through all the numbers and I was kind of stumped. I, I thought I was going to find something mm-hmm. really obvious in there food-wise or something, and I didn't, not not anything mm-hmm. enough to cause this problem. Now that I know about the tobacco, though, it makes sense. It yeah. really does. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you really look at the impact on cardiovascular, cardiovascular health, specifically from tobacco smoke, it lowers your HDL. It increases your, your LDL. Yep. It raises your triglycerides. Yep. It thickens your blood and makes it stickier. So it's more likely to clot. It damages the cells um, in the blood vessels and the arteries. And it cuts oxygen levels in the blood. So, which can impair, you know, immunity, cause inflammation and all these things. But also, cigarette smoke has a compound found in it called um, acrolene, I think that's how you pronounce it. But basically, it prevents the, the HDL that you do have in your blood, it prevents it from transporting LDL out of your arteries to get rid of it. Oh. So, yeah. So when I saw that you were a cigarette smoker, I kind of had that light bulb moment, you yeah. know, when I when I saw that. So I think that's really important to, to note here that, that in and of itself could be contributing. I'm sure it's contributing exactly. to these, you yeah. know. Yeah. I, I would say without a doubt, it's the single biggest factor why your numbers are so whacked out. There are a couple other little things, and I'm sure yeah. Lauren's going to go over them, and right. they'll all help. But that is by yeah. far number one. Yeah, I definitely I, agree. I started picking it up here in April again. <laughs> okay, gotcha. And before that... Um, had you had your, your levels tested, your, you know, your cholesterol levels prior to starting Yeah, again? much lower, I believe, a little lower. Yep. Okay. Yep. And, and yeah. probably and, better you know, ratios. Mer- yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the American Heart Association claims that there a third of deaths from coronary heart disease each year are due to smoking and secondhand smoke. That's a third. That is quite high. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And so quitting, the good news is that quitting can reverse damage fairly quickly. Yeah. One year of being um, Mm smoke-free, it actually cuts your risk of heart disease and heart attacks in half. So that is my number one recommendation for you is... I should have stayed off of them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the good news, um, Lauren's identified exactly what the problem is, and it can be fixed simply, not easily. Mm -hmm. Quitting isn't easy. I know that. It's not. Um, You've done it before, so you know you can. That always helps. You have that confidence. You've done it before. You can quit. Uh, But it's this is this actually, I thought this was going to be some big mystery, and it turned out to be really simple. 
Yeah, I you, agree. It's it's fairly simple here. You know, and, there's. I mean, obviously not simple, but, but when I get kind of random calls like this on the show and I don't know somebody's background, I should get better. There's two questions that I should get better at asking, not right off the bat. And that's probably why I never remember to do this. But once I kind of dug down and we saw that there was this big mystery, I should think to ask two questions today that I am not good at doing. I should write them on my desk and just leave them there. Uh, one, are you a smoker? I never think to ask that. I, I guess my assumption is people who are interested in enough in their health to be asking me these questions wouldn't be smoking. That, that's not a good assumption for me to make, mm-hmm. but I think that's where my mind is. The other one that I don't think of, and, and some of it is probably all the political crap, I, we have to remember to ask people if they've been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. It, it could change everything. You know, um, I don't, I don't want to get too political on this show, but uh, the biggest issue right now in politics the last couple of days has been the Senate race in Pennsylvania. Big, big race. Um, the, the, there are two people Dr. running. Dr. Oz. Yeah, Dr. Oz is running. So that makes it kind of a big race because he's this mm-hmm. famous TV doctor and he's all over the place. And the other guy who's running is actually the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania right now. And the big issue with him is he's pretty far left. I mean, no doubt that's his politics. He admits him. Well, he used to admit him. It's kind of funny what he did last night. Um, but he had a stroke five months ago. And he is horribly mm-hmm. impaired from that stroke. And mm-hmm. people are trying to, to say, oh, you have to stop saying he had a stroke. You, you can't make fun of him. Or Well, wait a minute. Nobody's making fun of him. We're saying maybe he's not qualified to be in the U.S. Senate. I, I, I'm sorry you had the stroke, but that doesn't mean we he have to read a teleprompter. He, yeah, he, he can't understand <laughs> spoken words. He can't understand them. He has to have a teleprompter. I'm sorry. You're not fit to be serving in the U.S. Senate at that point. I'm sorry that it happened to you, but you shouldn't even be in this race. And my question is, has anybody bothered to explore whether it was the vaccine that caused his stroke? My guess is it is. It's a very, very common, not normal, but it's a very, very common effect, side effect of this vaccine. People have many strokes. I know several people, personal friends of mine, who took the vaccine and had many strokes, ended up in the the doctor's office with stroke-like symptoms. It's, it's not uncommon, but nobody's talking about the fact that it might have been that damn vaccine that caused him to have this stroke. But he is, it was mm-hmm. so hard to watch that debate last night. It was so uncomfortable. I feel, I really, really feel bad for the guy, but the people around him, shame on them, shame on his wife and his family and his, his political team for allowing him to stay in the race and do that debate last night. It was horrifying to watch him he can't speak and and i i i i hesitate to criticize him for anything because the stroke had to affect his mental capacities but he made one of the worst i I don't even know what to call it 
it wasn't a mistake. It was intentional. But I, you know, I don't think he can trust his own brain. They fracking is obviously a big issue in Pennsylvania. Huge issue. Um, mm-hmm. With fuel mm-hmm. prices the way they are, this is a big deal. He is on tape. They had the recording. They played it in 2018. He's on video saying, I have never supported fracking and I never will. They asked him the question on the stage. He said, I I absolutely support fracking and I always will or or something like that. And the moderator even had to stop and say, wait a minute. We have a quote here from 2018. You said you never supported it and you won't. Which one is it? And, and he goes silent. He, he doesn't even know what to say. I, it, it, it was horrifying to watch this. But it, it's, you know, he had a stroke. That, that's, that's a really bad mm-hmm. thing. So I, I didn't mean to get all political there, but uh, that, it was so that's fresh fine. in my mind. No, from, yeah, because so, I believe what you believe. Yeah, so fresh in my mind from, from watching that last night. And, and yet, we, the, when I say we, the, I'm going to be partisan here. The Democrats want to support this guy, and, and they're trying to shame us for pointing out the fact that he's not capable of being in the U.S. Senate. We're, we're, not, we're not criticizing him for having a stroke. Nobody's criticizing him for that. But he had a stroke. It's real. And we have to deal with the fact that it's real. And if you had a stroke, would they let you drive a truck if you were in this condition? I certainly hope not. No, they monitor you. Yeah, and you may you may be completely disqualified. The doctor has the ability to tell you as a driver, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give you a medical card. Where's his doctor? He claims his doctor says he's just fine. That's criminal of that doctor. But he's the one that and anybody with half a brain can he's the look one that at donated the guy. To his- yeah, I know. Right. Yeah, his doctor donated a bunch of money to his campaign. Talk about a conflict of interest mm-hmm. there. Anybody with half a brain can look at this guy and see he is severely impaired. And he is. All right, Lauren. Sorry I hijacked that. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, no. Oh, quick question, too. What's my oxygen level in my body? It's at 99%. Um, I can address that. Um, I can address that. Because, Lauren, yep. you, were, you, were, uh, yeah, you were absolutely right about oxygen levels and, and what nicotine and tobacco do. Um, they lower. Here's the problem. The way we measure oxygen in the blood, pulse ox with the little finger things, and, you know, the Garmin watch does yep, a great yep, job yep. of measuring pulse ox. Um, I learned this through the Wim Hof breathing and also the book called Breath or Breathe. I, maybe it's Breathe. Um, James Nestor, I think, might be that author. So what happens is we can have very high levels of oxygen in our blood, even 100%, and our body can't mm-hmm. use it. And that's why it stays so high. Okay. Because we can't access it. It stays in the blood and we need it to get into the cells. But that is determined by the amount of carbon dioxide in your blood. So mm-hmm. that's so the Wim Hof breathing, the first 
when I was first doing it and monitoring my pulse ox, I was shocked. Why does my pulse ox keep going down when I do this? That seems like a bad thing. But what was happening was I was balancing the carbon dioxide in my body and making that oxygen available to my cells. And that was causing it to go down. And then my body would build it right back up again. But that's what was happening. So what you're seeing is just really what we would call a false reading. You have the oxygen in your blood, but your body can't access it. And that's why it stays high. So why doesn't the medical institute address that? Uh, For the exact same reason we talked about earlier on blood sugar and all these other things. Oh, good money. Yeah, their job is not to make you healthy. It's just not. That's why I, I try not to call it a health care system. It's a sick care system. They, okay. they, they, they want to keep you alive, but they have no interest in making you outrageously healthy. How much money do you think the medical okay. community makes from me? Not much. Only when I have accidents. And I've, pra- and I've praised <laughs> them over and over and over for what they do when it comes to accidents and trauma. The medical system saved right. my life. I got into a horrendous motorcycle accident and should have died. They saved me. I praised them up and down for that. When I crushed my hand, I'm amazed at what the, the surgeon right. was able to do with my hand. I, I have almost full function, and, and I did some pretty severe damage to it. They did an amazing job on that. I love them for that kind of stuff. But I will not go anywhere near a doctor to, to ask them how I should be healthier. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, 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 I wonder even, I, I would assume, I assume, I, I would assume that doctors do understand the correlation between carbon dioxide in the body and oxygen. I've never heard one, heard one talk about it, but you would think with all that medical school, they would at least know how that works, but they don't, they're never mm-hmm. taught what that means in the real world for our health. All they know is if pulse ox drops too low, it's dangerous and they have to give you oxygen. I mean, that seems to be their only response. Oh, yours is so low, you need oxygen. Mm -hmm. Oh, yours is so low, you may have COPD. Oh, now we have a disease, we can give you a drug for it. Uh, That seems to be the whole system. Mm -hmm. But I've never heard one of them say, oh, well, maybe you have chronically high numbers because your body can't access it because you're breathing wrong. We all breathe wrong. Do you know why we breathe wrong? You would think, wait a minute. I I don't control my breathing. That's autonomous. You know why we breathe wrong? That's the way we always did it? No. We didn't always breathe like this. That's the problem. Um, Lauren, think fight or flight. Oh, wait, fight or flight? Really? Yeah. yeah. Constricts your blood vessels and changes your breathing. Yes, so. And we are constantly, but yeah, breathing is a, we are constantly in a fight a or flight mode. And it affects the way we yeah. breathe and we breathe incorrectly and we have the wrong levels of carbon dioxide in our system. And that's what controls how the oxygen gets used. Mm-hmm. 
one of the ways we get yeah, but out. Yeah, the mouth breathing thing. Yeah, one of the ways we get out of the fight and flight response is by breathing properly. That's very true. So this is a new phenomenon. That this issue of of blood oxygen is new. It's a it's a modern problem. The more and more we get stressed and and everything about our lifestyle seems to be making stress worse. Nothing about our lifestyle seems to be making it better. So this is a fairly new problem for humans. Yeah, it is. And then, and then to go back to why, yeah, we're, why, like why we're even talking time. about this, the, the nicotine and the tobacco mm-hmm. really interfere um, with both oxygen and carbon dioxide levels in your body. Yes. Not okay. to mention blood sugar regulation as well. That's another interesting one. I, I, uh, you know, I don't want anybody to smoke just so I can get some data, but it'd be interesting to see a, a CGM <laughs> readout of somebody <clears throat> who smokes. I wonder how that does affect it. I agree. I wanted to ask um, Kara if she had any uh, that, information on that as well. That's why we really yeah. need a, we really need a part two on that one. I'm glad she agreed to come back with us. Oh, for sure, yeah. for sure. But yeah, the FDA website says you know that researchers found that smoking is a direct cause of type two diabetes, and it's responsible for about nine thousand diabetes deaths per year. And that if you are a smoker, you have a 30 to 40% increased risk of contracting diabetes. That's big. Mm. You know what else I'd like to see? It's a big one. <laughs> you know what else I'd like kind to of scary. see? I'd like to see on the Garmin watch what smoking does to the instant stress readings. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious. Yeah. Does Garmin collect data or not so much? Uh, it, it's, how, how, how do they use the data? That's a good question. We should get Garmin back on and talk some more about this stuff because Garmin's so into this health thing mm. and Eric's been so good. That's, um, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point. Yeah. I, I, I am, am a big supporter of companies gathering all of this data anonymously. Don't identify any individual. Just gather the data and give us the big picture. You know, I, I don't want them, you know, mm-hmm. saying, oh, look at what Kevin Rutherford was doing the other day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, none of that. But I, I really, I think it would be really important to use that data totally anonymously to show us trends. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. We'll get them back on too. Yeah, because I know Kara, their their whole goal is to collect data because they want to be able to, you know, decipher it and go, you know, they're, they're very tech heavy on, on, on their side of things. But I, I never really wondered about Garmin until now. Yeah, I would yeah, it'd be interesting to find out. I would think it's the same. You know, the, those companies spend a lot of money developing this technology and, and maintaining the servers to, to do yeah. all of this. And certainly they get paid for their devices, but um, data is is big money these days. Um, Where the money is. <laughs> exactly. Well, here's an example that 
we haven't accessed yet in the way I want to, but the plan has always been there to do it. Um, it's totally off the topic of health, but it's about, you know, using other people's data. Um, as far as I know, mm-hmm. I've looked all over the place. As far as I know, we have the largest database in the world of individual class eight truck fuel economy. Now there are fleets out there that have their data about their fleet, but I, we may be the only real, or we may be the biggest source of this data. The last time I checked and I, I'm sure I'm off cause I, I haven't checked this in a while. I think we had over 4 million fuel tickets in our system and ours can be identified um, depending on how much detail each individual puts in. And we don't collect individual data and identify it to a person. Again, we're, we're collecting big picture stuff. That's totally anonymous, but we can break it down by equipment again, not by person, but we can say, this is all the data for a 2018 Kenworth with an ISX and a 13-speed transmission and 308 rear ends and low pro 22.5 tires. And their average speed is you know, 62 miles an hour. And I mean, we have that data, and I think we have more data like that than anybody in the world. At some point, I will probably sell that data. Yeah. But again, it's totally anonymous. No, it's not attached to any one mm-hmm. person. And I'm fine with that. And I think, I, well, I, I hope more companies I'm with all of that. these medical devices do that. Collect it anonymously and give us the big picture. We would all learn a lot from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. As long as it's done anonymously and no one, exactly. you know, no one right. can track you and, and yeah. whatnot. It yeah, be exactly, fine. right. And, and yeah, I also think, I also think, mm-hmm. um, and, and at some point, if we ever get anywhere near, you know, looking at our data that way and, and maybe even possibly selling it, um, we would make sure that people had a way to opt out. Even if it's anonymous, even if it, you, no names are attached, but if you just tell us you don't want your data to be a part of that, just let us know and we'll pull it out. And I think that the, the you know, yeah. that would be a good idea for health companies to do as well. Let people opt out. If they're just uncomfortable with it, let them opt out. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, I I signed up for 23andMe, and I don't know if I regret that. <laughs> Same here. Same here. I did I, both of them. Years ago. <laughs> I did it years ago, too, before I even thought about this whole issue and once the issue came up, Me I thought, no, oh, I never even thought it. I was so excited because I'm a data geek. I wanted, I was so excited to get I all know. that data. And now I'm like, oh, would I have done that today? I'm not sure if I would. I don't think I, I did would. Both. I know. I know. It's too late. I know. It's Ancestry too late. and 23 Me. Did you do them both? I almost <laughs> did. Yeah, I almost did. I did the 23 and Me. Yes. I, I In fact, I think... I'm pretty sure we have an ancestry kit around here somewhere. I just never bothered to do it, but I think I actually got the kit. Mm. Kent, I have huh. a question for you. 
Yes. When you kept your, uh, when you were keeping a log of your food, you know, your food journal, did you yeah. have any aha moments or anything that really, you know, stood out to you? Hmm. Well, like right, like last night, I just ate codfish in a, in a medium baked potato. Um, okay. And with just in butter, just bought everything butter. And then it, mm-hmm. it, that, and I went oh, 26 hours before I ate again. That's what I, but then I was sitting there thinking when I was doing this, when I'm doing my coffee and my, what is that powder coconut? I ate powder coconut. MCT and butter. I do both coconut or the MCT and they're both like mm-hmm. coconut. But is that fasting when you take it? <sighs> I'll address this one. That's um, a great question. <laughs> so this is oil. So here's here's the thing. Technically, it's not fasting. The true definition of a fast, mm-hmm. the easiest way to remember this, a true definition of fast are no calories. That's the easiest way to remember okay. this. Anything with a calorie technically could break the fast, but. Do we, okay. really, do we really care if we get really good results from saying, um, I, I, I say it all the time. I say I do, inter- I just said earlier today, I was on a 17 hour fast. Well, that's a lie. Technically, that's mm-hmm. a lie. I had my coffee in the morning and it had calories in it. It had brain octane and butter. and mm-hmm. uh, Yeah. So, but do we really care if we get good results? It's just a word. But to be technical, no. so we know the answer, yeah. anything with calories would break a fast. Right. I call that. So that day fast. that I, by the way, the day that I drew my blood, I did not do any coffee, MCT, or coconut, nothing. I just drank water all day long. Yeah. And you, my test, my blood draw was at three thirty in the afternoon. Um, And the last I ate was at 5 o'clock at night. Did you hear Kara today that there's research out there Mm. that shows just having your blood drawn for cholesterol uh, just an hour apart came up with... Oh, could rise it. Well, change it by as much as 15%. There wasn't any... I don't think there were real clear patterns. Some might be higher, some might be lower, but the, the numbers were off by 15%. That's a pretty big number mm. when you consider the, the medical community has pretty strict guidelines on when they have to prescribe something and when they will prescribe something. And now we know the data they're basing that on could be 15% off. That means you are not in the category where you're supposed to be prescribed something and yet they're prescribing it to you. Right. All right. Like I say, my doctor, he's not going to prescribe me anything because I told him I'm not going to do any of that. Good. So. Good. Uh, Aaron sent me over the numbers, to, and I find this pretty interesting. Um, we have 97,000 accounts in the, in the system, so you could figure we have around wow. that many trucks that are being tracked, and we are coming up on 4.9 million fuel tickets. Hmm. And we add, wow. uh, looks <laughs> like we, 
Yeah, it looks like we add over 1,200 a day. We had about 13 trucks a day, and we add over 1,200 fuel tickets a day. That's a lot of data on fuel mileage. I, like I mm -hmm. said, I don't think there's anything else like oh, it. Yeah, I'm sure. So that's kind of exciting. But, that, I, you know, I'm a data geek, so um, I love that. I can't imagine how many health data points a company like Garmin has. Mm, I know. You know, I, I, did a, um, I did a recording last night of the pit. Uh, it's going to play next week. Uh, I'm going to be gone all next week. I'm traveling on the road doing two events in uh, Tennessee. I, I would love to see some of my listeners at these events. These aren't, this isn't any real giant big event. Um, they're free. You're going to get two meals, I think they said. And it goes from eight in the morning to one in the afternoon. That, that's the whole event. I have some other things going on while I'm down there, but that's the, the two events that I'm doing. Um, one is on next Tuesday in Memphis and then Thursday in Nashville. So it's, it's, kind of more high level industry stuff there you know there are fleets there that are coming because of you know nuclear verdicts and some stuff like that we had the attorney on the the show that's going to be there speaking and um I, it'd just be it'd be fun uh to if some of my listeners were to show up because i always like meeting people anyway or seeing people that i've met before and you know get to see them again so if anybody's going to be in that area and you can stop in um be a good morning um but I was talking last night, um, doing another recording, so that we, we are going to make sure, even though I'm gone the whole week, uh, we're going to make sure there's new material every day. I, I think I have one more day I have to figure out what I'm going to do. Um, unfortunately, right now, our software is not to the point where our co-hosts can do shows by themselves. Even Rolling Toe, when they're on the air, I'm not on the air with them but I have to be here in the studio running the show. And all of the software and equipment is coming with me because a couple of those days next week, I am going to do live shows from the road. So Monday, I will be live. Tuesday will be a recorded show, but new material. You haven't heard it before. Uh, Wednesday will be live. We have a guest. Um, Thursday will be recorded and Friday will be recorded. But again, all new material. So I did a recording last night um, with Noel Perry. And I thought it was interesting. Noel is, how old did he tell me he was last night? 75, I think. Still out there working hard. He was at a, a trucking event and I think they're down in LA or San Francisco, the uh, ATA uh, events going on right now. And he was at the event. But the interesting thing was somehow we got talking about the Garmin watch. I don't even remember why, because we were talking about something totally different. Uh, but when I mentioned it, I said, you know, Garmin's really known for making these very specific watches, you know, for scuba divers and people who ride bikes. And I said, we worked with them and, and you know, developed one just for truck drivers. And he said, I know all about them. He says, I have one for golf. So Garmin is just, I don't think most people realize how many different watches Garmin makes for very specific things. They have to have some incredible health data 
Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, pretty incredible. I mean, data of all kinds of yeah. data. Yeah. I mean, they don't just do watches. <laughs> oh no, they're t- it's incredible. T- yeah. What a what a you know, it, it it's another one of those companies that that I've always liked. I mean, way back when, but the more I work with them, the more they make it into those companies for me kind of like, you know, Southwest Airlines and Apple and although Apple um not nearly as fond of them as I used to be. Um, it's not quite the same mm. company these days. Still light years ahead of everybody else as far as I'm concerned. But um, Steve Jobs made a difference. Oh, yeah. It's amazing how one person can make a difference in a company that big. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. He was a powerful force. Yeah. All right. I got what, a question, too. Yeah, absolutely. The cardio. The cardio that I'm taking. Now, I got it on Monday. Okay. Oh, cardio miracle. Now I take it twice a day. Yep. Now, how do I know when I benefiting from it? Uh, there are a couple ways. Um, one of the things I do like to go by. Um, how does it make you feel? Do you feel any better? And and sometimes I, I feel like I have energy still with with my coconut. Uh, excellent. Sometimes, and we know this is a real thing, sometimes it could be the placebo effect. Do we care, Mm -hmm. Lauren? Do you care if you take something and it makes you feel better? If somebody could even prove to you, look, there was nothing in what you just took. I don't care. I'd rather them not tell me so that it would true. Right, yeah, yeah. I'd rather just not know, but... If, if it is truly the placebo effect, so what? Isn't the point of everything mm-hmm. we do around health so we feel better? Isn't that the whole point of this? Well, yeah. it has vitamins and minerals in there that I probably won't get from some of my other foods. Too, well, I, you know, we brought Cardio Miracle in for one specific reason. Because, Lauren, and you know this better than anybody... Almost everybody we dealt with was dealing with high blood pressure or at least borderline blood pressure, even though they had done a lot of other things mm-hmm. right. They had improved almost everything, and blood pressure was still either elevated or at least borderline. And we now mm-hmm. know that stress is a big part of that, so the stress protocol is going to help. But we brought that product in for that reason. I've told the story many times. We were developing our own product, and we were probably less than a month away from releasing it. And we scrapped the whole project because this was better. But once we brought it in and I started taking it myself when I was testing it, I really have said many, many times, I'm not a fan of multivitamins. Don't take them. Don't take all these multivitamins you see advertised. They're awful. The quality is awful. The, the amounts of most of the really important nutrients are so low they don't do anything. They can say all they want. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have 57 nutrients. Yeah, but how much? And what's the quality? You know, there's, there, was, there was one Great. guy who was on um, the same channel I was on on Sirius, but he was on the overnight show. And he talks about his supplement that has 97 minerals and nutrients that the body absolutely has to have. That is total bullshit. First off, you don't know that I need all 97 of those. 
I'm sure I don't need all 97 of those. And when I looked at his product, the stuff that was really important, there wasn't enough of it to do anything for anybody. So I've been very, very negative against these kinds of products. It's also why Cardio Miracle is not in a capsule. It's in a powder. You can't get enough of these nutrients into capsules. Nobody wants to swallow 15 capsules a day or 20 or 30. And that's what it might take sometimes. Mm. So I have really started leaning towards, um, if I'm going to take a supplement, I am leaning towards powders that I put in liquids because it's the only way you can get enough of these and get the right, the, the right quality levels that we want. So I actually started looking at Cardio Miracle and I, I don't have blood pressure issues. My blood pressure is just fine without it. Um, I was taking it to test it because oh. I, I, I won't put anything yep. in our store that I don't take. And sometimes I won't put something in our store just because I don't like the taste of it. Um, so I test everything. Mm-hmm. But I now never miss a day of Cardio Miracle. Cardio Miracle is now my daily supplement that kind of takes care of all those little things I can't keep track of and make sure I'm getting enough of. So I monitored my blood pressure the very first on Monday, and now I'm going to check it following Monday, and then I'm going to see how things are getting better or staying the same. Perfect. To go back to your question that started all this, why are my answers all so long mm-hmm. today? Sometimes my answers are so long. I, have to try. <laughs> I know I have to try to remember what the question was. Your question was, how do you know when it works? And I said, first off, let's just see how we feel. Do we see an improvement in our yep. mood, in our energy, in our digestion, in the way we feel, whatever? Did it change anything that you can point to and say, yeah, this is different than it used to be? That's one. Two, you just said it. You checked your blood pressure last week because yep. for you, we're using this for a very mm-hmm. specific reason. Let's measure and see if it's working. Perfect. You, yeah, you got it. My better my better half told me, she says, now, if you're taking this, and I got a 90-day supply, and she said, and you, you, your mood started getting really mean-like. Mean? She says, then I, I'm going to ask you. Well, because testosterone in it, it builds up your testosterone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's and, and I don't know if she was joking with me or what. Okay, but. well, I'll, we'll we'll give her the benefit of the doubt and hope she was joking. Otherwise, <laughs> just just let her know that that what they want to claim as toxic masculinity is just us being men the mm-hmm. way we're supposed to be. Right. Yeah. You wouldn't think it was toxic masculinity when we take down the mugger that was about to rob us. Right? Uh, That's our job. Oh, yeah. That's our job. Men and women are different. Right. They're different for a reason, and we should celebrate that difference. Oh, yes. I agree. Instead, I'm going to get political again. You know what I saw last night that absolutely infuriated me? Oh, I wish I could remember this guy's name. I'm going to have to go back and look. Um, There is some TikTok star that he's a man. Was he invited to the White House? Yes. Yes. 
But it gets worse. Seeing it everywhere. It's driving me crazy. It it, it gets worse. I am, I'm a libertarian. I don't care who you sleep with. I don't care what clothes you wear. I don't care what you identify as. It means nothing to me. Really. And I don't mean that in any kind of a mean way. I mean, I have lots of friends who are not, you know, they don't fit the norm. I live in Oregon. You know, if I was, if any of this stuff bothered me, you would not live in the state of Oregon. I mean, this is the epicenter of all of that stuff. So just so people know, none of this bothers me until it gets to something like this. And this should bother everybody. This should bother women more than anything. This guy's some TikTok star. He hasn't done, as far as I know, yet any of the surgeries or anything. He's still a man. He decided to start a project, mm-hmm. and, and it, it's like he documents his days now living as a woman. So he's wearing women's clothes and makeup. And, but his first day, this infuriated me. He, he, you got to go watch this. Here's my first day living as a woman. I've cried three times. I've spent more money than I should on clothes online. He goes through all these things that should be so insulting to women. Mm. And he got invited to the White House and did an interview with President Biden. Unbelievable. I don't understand why. Exactly. Why? Why, of all of the true journalists that he should be sitting down and doing interviews with that he doesn't, and then he brings in Miss WAP, wet ass, we know what that song's all about. He did an interview with her before he got elected during the campaign. I made a big deal about that. And now he's doing an interview with with this, whatever the hell this is. This isn't. Hmm. This guy isn't even serious about what he's doing from what I can gather. To me, it looks like he is totally mocking women. I mean, he's just trying to get votes. That's what he's doing. It has, it's, it's I don't, awful. Yeah. It's awful. None of it makes sense no. except for no. gaining votes. And, and one of the questions in the interview. Now, I, I said I'm wide open to almost everything for adults. Mm-hmm. For adults. Not children. We don't let children do a lot of things. We don't let them drive cars. We don't let them smoke. We don't let them drink alcohol. There's a lot of things we don't let children do, and there's a good reason for that. We should not let children be deciding their gender. I'm sorry. I I draw the line with kids. I agree. One of his questions in the interview was, does does President Biden support gender-affirming care? which is code for castrating children, giving them hormone blockers. So so that, and this is not only is this totally legal, I can point you to several websites of major medical systems that promote this and, and they absolutely do it to children and they make a big deal about it. Like it's something positive. And the president said, I absolutely support gender-affirming care. Look around the country today at the problems we have, Mm. and that's what he's talking about it in an interview? Are you kidding me? I don't care if you agree with that. That should not be our priority right now. 
No, it really shouldn't. And I don't agree with that. I couldn't couldn't disagree with this more when they do this to children. I do believe they're doing it to children. I've seen I've seen girls um, come out after ever after having made that decision to just like change to a boy, and I don't know how they do it exactly. They somehow stop their menstrual cycles and whatnot. Hormones. And I've heard them, yeah, and I've they, heard them say that that they shouldn't have been allowed to make a decision at that age because they didn't know any better at that age, and that. Now, you know, they can't really go back completely or I don't know how it works, but it made me really sad to hear this girl talk about her story and how, you know, she was allowed to make that decision at a very young age. And it was sad. It was just sad. Yeah. But yeah, politics. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's, you know, right now, it, it's just hard not to believe, be political. We're, we are at such a critical point in this country. Um, this election is, I, it's less than two weeks away. Um, it's interesting, to say the least. I, I'm mm-hmm. actually very encouraged with the trends and what we're seeing uh, as far as that goes. But um, we've got a long way to go, though. I, I, I'm... I'm almost a little yeah, torn. Here's what I'm afraid of happening right now. Um, we see that it looks like the Republicans are about to take over both, maybe, the House and the Senate. And that seems like such a good thing. We can at least put a stop to some of this crap. But they're not going to mm-hmm. be able to pass anything. They can stop things from happening. I know. Some things. Biden can still use executive orders. And I don't know how if Congress mm-hmm. has any power to stop that or not. Um, but they can stop some things. We, I don't not, think he can prime some. No. Yeah. I don't think he understands what he's signing when he, he tries to sign something. That's a, yeah, that's another huge yeah. issue. But here's what I'm afraid of. They will sweep both. They'll at least put a stop to a lot of the things, but they're not going to be able to really make any positive changes because President Biden has to sign anything they, they bring up. They can pass it in the House and the Senate, and he won't yeah. sign it. And then what I'm afraid of is because most of our country isn't very tuned into politics. If the the Republicans can't pass anything to fix the problems, when we get to the next presidential Mm. election and Congress, who are they going to blame it on? Uh, They're going to blame all of this on the Republicans, and we're going to see the House and Senate flip again, and maybe the presidency. I'm, I'm a little worried about that. We can't really afford for that to happen. Oh, I know. I know. <sighs> I would, if I could wave the magic wand, I wish we could just skip the whole midterms. Just leave everything the way it is. You know, we, we've got at least two Democrats in there that have mostly stopped the outrageous stuff. And the, 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 results of having Democrats in control has been so disastrous in two years that it would be a slam dunk if we could go two more years like this. The country would be a mess, but it probably is going to be anyway. And the problem is now it's going to get blamed on the Republicans next time. They're going to say, look, we gave you control of the House and Senate and you changed nothing. 
It's hard to win these days. <laughs> it's, it is. It sucks. Hard to get anywhere these days. Yeah. All right. Um, what do we need to do to wrap up the one-on-one here, Lauren? Well, Kent, um, do you have any questions? I think that the two main things, I mean, the one is the biggest one is the cigarettes. That is really going to hold you back. And I'm so happy to hear that you quit smoking successfully for five years in the past. That's huge. That gives me, you know, I I feel as though that's something that you can do again. Um, So that's number one recommendation. Okay. And then the, the alcohol, I mean, you, you kind of hit it on the nose there. Um, mm-hmm. If you're drinking every other day, then you can cut Never. back on that and see if that helps as well. Okay. You know, and that, that's, that's a, a, a good, you know, comparison of the two. There would never be a time where I would ever condone smoking once in a while or ever. Right? Just, just, just don't. That, that one you just got to quit. And you've done it, so that that's good news. Yeah. The alcohol, mm-hmm. I've even said myself, as much as I know how bad it is, I, I'm not going to call myself a, a, non-sm- a non-drinker or an ex-drinker. Or I, I, Same I, with me. Yeah, I'm but I have, the more of that alcohol you cut back, the healthier you're going to be. And, and then once in a while, here's, no, the yeah. other, here's the other great thing about the way I drink alcohol now. Like, which is very rarely, and I said if somebody stopped over with the bottle of wine, one glass is about all I can handle anymore. I know, right? You know, know, one (laughs) glass of wine, you get that nice, warm, mellow buzz. It does feel good. Um, And, you know, to do it Mm -hmm. once in a while, now it's it's, it's like a treat. Um, But honestly, if I drink two glasses, it's not a treat anymore. I don't feel very good. Yeah, that's true. You definitely feel it the next day. Yeah. Another thing is, if I don't care for, if I don't really love that bottle of wine, I'm not going to, I'm just going to say, I'm going to pass on it. Good point. I've gotten really picky with my wine these days. And I never used to do that. (laughs) Open a bottle. Oh, this wine isn't isn't that great, but I'm going to finish it anyway. Yeah. No, I'm I'm the same way now. That's interesting. I'm really, really picky. Yeah. If, I, if I'm going to drink some alcohol, it yeah. better be damn good, and I better enjoy it. Every sip. I want to enjoy <laughs> every right. sip of it. I don't want to just take a sip and force it to the back of my mouth. I want to drink and, Savor you know, it. fill yeah. my taste buds with that amazing. That's right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have that, any questions, causes, Well, I was just going to say, yes, so alcohol does stop it. I heard it in the mm-hmm. previous mm-hmm. callers. Um, 24 to 36 hours to get out of your system again before your ketosis really gets back to the swing of things. And then, then if I'm Which, drinking every other day or three times a week, it's knocking it back down again and never gets to be in full. full. Yeah, but I'm which, still losing a pound a day. Good. Good. That, <clears> that's <throat> excellent. That's one measure. Yeah. We love that. But mm-hmm. yeah, the less alcohol you drink, the better your results will be. Health-wise. Yeah. Probably better for my body. Absolutely. Definitely. All around. And I can work on the quit smoking thing. I know how I did it the other times. My better half is a smoker and smokes in the house. So that makes it tough. That's tough. That is tough. You know, and I I prefer not to, but 
but it yeah. happens. But just yeah. so you know that that uh, that American Heart Association stat of one third of deaths from co- from coronary heart disease each year are due to smoking and secondhand smoke. But it is a much better place so, to be if you are not so, smoking. There's so no doubt. Let's make an interesting right. comparison here. Um, the mm-hmm. other thing the AMA will tell you is that statins reduce your risk of a heart attack, right? That's their claim. Mm-hmm. If you look at the data yeah. properly, the best you could ever try to pull out of their data, if you look at, there's there's the whole trick they play with medical data about absolute. and um, But if you look at that data correctly, the best you could ever say mm-hmm. is a statin would reduce that risk of a heart attack by about 1%. That, that's about the best we could pull out of their data. And we know that statins have horrible side effects for a lot of people, muscle pain, memory loss, uh, brain fog, all kinds of things. And yet, people are willing to jump all over a statin, endure the side effects for a 1% gain when quitting smoking is like a 30% reduction in risk. Yeah. And all wow. of the side effects are positive. Mm-hmm. Except maybe in the all beginning, the irritability and the cravings and all that. I get oh. that. <laughs> yeah, that, I get that. But those yeah. go away. Those go away. Those aren't with you the rest of your life. Yeah. So how do you feel well, about Chantix? No way. What is it? No way. No way? No way. Okay. Um, one of the possible what does that do to your brain who knows except one of the well documented side effects is thoughts of suicide oh yeah personality changes yeah who wants to take a drug that can actually make them think more about suicide isn't that bizarre Oh, no. No, no, no. Just go, no, that's just, not a good thing. Just go online, find the full list of yep. side effects, which is not what they read on the commercials. Those are bad enough if you can actually hear them and understand okay. them, which you can't because they say them so fast and yep. so quiet while they're showing people living their best life ever on all the images, and they're talking yeah, they about recordings and, like three times faster. Exactly. Go get the full list of side effects of Chantix or Chantix or however you say it and read through the list and then call me and tell me if you're still interested in it. It's a, uh, Lauren, if you're not familiar with it, it's one of the drugs they use to help people stop smoking. Answer my question. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and from what I understand, that it has helped people and some people have quit smoking and I'm sure they swear by it. I would not go anywhere near that stuff. And Ken, you did it. You've right. done it before several times. So we know yep. you can do yep. it. Yep. Oh, it's yeah, I can do it. Yeah. I can do it. I know I can do it. Then get to yeah, it. Yeah, I got to find other things to do. Yeah, that's right. Get it's to it. It's an important one. It's the most important one on your list right now. Hey, I, I, have, I have one. Okay. Um, hey. And really, I think this could be very helpful. Um, when you feel the craving okay. and the, the beauty of this, mm-hmm. the beauty of this, you could do it anytime, even driving. You, you want, you might want to modify it a little bit when you're driving and not be, you know, 
really gung-ho about how you do it. But I have a feeling that one of the things that could help is when you feel the cravings start coming yep. on, do a couple rounds of Wim Hof breathing. I knew you were going to say that. I got to look that up. <laughs> yep. I got to look that up. Just get the app. The app? Yeah, yeah. just get the app. It's super easy. It walks you right through it. How do you spell that? Uh, W-I-M-H-O-F. That's Wim Hof. W-I-M-H-O-F. Okay. Yeah, get the app. All right. You just follow the instructions in the guided breathing section in there. I, I still use the app to this day. I don't do the breathe. The only round of breathing I do without the app, I do one round of breathing while I'm in the cold shower. It takes me between four and five mm-hmm. minutes to do a round. So it keeps me busy while I'm in the cold shower so it doesn't feel like it's so long. And... That's that's how Wim Hof developed his breathing techniques. He, the first thing that's that he started doing, for some reason, when he was a teenager, he lived in the Netherlands and they have all the canals. And for some reason, as a teenager, he was drawn to going into the cold water and the canals. He would just go in there and sit. And he started developing breathing techniques that allowed him to stay in longer and not be uncomfortable. And then eventually he realized that there were crazy health benefits to this breathing method. And it's been, he's been poked and prodded and wired up. And they, there is tons of research out there on him specifically that, that what that scientists yeah. have tried to figure out, how can this guy possibly encase his entire body in ice for an hour and his core temperature never drops? And everybody thought he was a freak of nature. And he proved he's not a freak of nature. Any human can do this. I think I've yep. seen him on, on news. Yeah, they call him the Iceman. He's been all over the news the last couple of years. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. He's set all kinds of crazy world records, like being encased in ice for an hour. And he ran a half marathon. So that's, what, 13... 13.1 miles halfway mm-hmm. up Mount Everest in his bare feet. Hmm. Yeah. Crazy stuff he's been able to do. Only he could do that. Yeah. Well, but that's his point is anybody could with the same training he's had. If you did the same training he's done for as long as he's done it, the human body is capable of all of these things. That's what I find so incredible. Yeah. It's not that he was born some weird freak of nature. He's a normal human being. There's nothing they can measure about his body that's any different than anybody else's. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. But yeah, that's his how, mission is like to teach people how to do it. Oh, himself. yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. She still travels all over the world. I'm, I'm, I've worked through the material to become Wim Hof certified as a trainer. But the final step in that process, oh, cool. yeah, the final step in the process, you have to do one of his live sessions for trainers. And most of the time, mm. those mm. are in the Netherlands. Um, and with the travel restrictions the last couple of years, there's just no way um, that I was going to go do that because I'm not getting vaccinated. So uh, as things yeah. hopefully open up here in travel, I, I would like to go over there and, and finish that up and become certified. Very cool. Speaking of vaccination and the booster, 
What's that? Um, my ex. Speaking of the vaccination oh, yeah. and the booster, my my ex brother in law went. He worked for Mayo Clinic. He ended up going to get his the new boost, whatever you want to call it, the bivalent. Well, yeah. And anyways, he ended up uh, getting that rare thing that happens where he gets paralyzed, <laughs> and he's paralyzed oh, from the neck me. down. Now what? There oh, you the go. Neck down. From the neck down, and the only thing he can do, he can't talk. He can only move his eyeballs. Oh my god! It's like he. That is so sad. Wouldn't that be terrible to be stuck do, in a? Do they know if this is permanent? Oh. It's permanent, and, they, and I asked my my medical doctor when I seen him when I got my my physical here again. I said, "So what's the chances of him ever coming out?" And he says, "Not very likely." Oh, wow. so that is so sad. But here's the, the really sad part. Just talking to normal people about whatever, this keeps coming up. These stories are not as rare as they'd mm-hmm. like to make us believe. If they were, I wouldn't no. keep hearing about them. And, and the, no. there, are, no. there are so many celebrities and sports figures and politicians that the director of the CDC just got the bivalent shot a couple weeks ago and she's got COVID again. Uh, come on. So it, it, we see famous people. The stories are everywhere because they're famous. Nobody mm-hmm. reports on the average exactly. person that this happens to. No. Right. It was back in the, I think, believe like early seventies, I believe when they first started the flu shots. This is when it started coming up for the 60s, maybe, when they started giving flu shots. And it was a rare thing for them to happen, but they still promoted it. But now with this, it's the same thing, but with another. another well, uh, he, he, here's something else. I, I, I kind of want to dispel this myth, too, because the, this is a big, they, they push this hard and nobody realizes it. They, um, I, I'm not in favor of the flu shot. I've taken one in my life that I know of. I don't know if I ever got one when I was in the military. Mm -hmm. They poke and jab you whenever they feel like it. There's nothing you can do about it. So I don't even know what I got when I was in the military. Um, But as an adult, I've gotten a flu shot one time because my grandsons were in the NICU. And if I wanted to go in and see them, I had to. It was my only choice. Mm -hmm. And, And I thought, all right, I'll take the chance. Um, that's the only time I've ever gotten one. I, I don't think they're necessary. I have an immune system. Um, I'd rather not put anything in my body that I don't have to like that. But they have done an awesome job of making these two sound the same. Even now, all the marketing this year, oh, make sure you get your COVID and your flu shot. You can get them in the same day. Just get them in different arms. They want you to correlate those two. Mm-hmm. There's no correlation whatsoever. The flu vaccine is a true vaccine. It, it's, you know, the dead virus so that your body sees it and builds some defenses to it. And it's not always very successful because no, there's too many different guessing. strains of flu. <laughs> right. Exactly. And you don't, you don't know if you got the right couple of strains. And then the next thing you know, you're exposed to a different strain of the flu. So you still get sick anyway. But mm-hmm. I don't think 
that the flu shot is all that dangerous. There's no evidence that, you know, people are dropping over and having strokes and heart attacks and from the flu shot. It's been around long enough. No, I agree. If it was that dangerous, we would know it. But mm-hmm. this shot is not a vaccine. It's gene therapy. And it doesn't stop you from getting COVID. That's the definition of a vaccine. So, but, but they have done an awesome job of marketing that people are looking at these two like they're the same thing all of a sudden. Yeah. He, he had just retired from Mayo Clinic, and then he went and got <sighs> his shot. <sighs> and now he's laying in a, a health care facility and can't do nothing. they got to take care of him. But it'd be terrible to be trapped in your body and hear what people are saying. You can't talk, but you can move your eyes, yes or no. Um, I, I experienced something similar, not not myself, but with my father. Um, my father had Lou Gehrig's, and it's basically mm-hmm. the same thing. Over time, you you lose more and more function of your body, more and more movement of your body, and, mm-hmm. and towards the end. And he lived longer than like 90% of the people at the time um, with Lou Gehrig. So that was even worse because the longer you mm-hmm. live, the worse this thing gets. And towards the end, he was almost at that point. And it has no effect on your brain whatsoever. So oh. you are totally coherent, totally oh. able to think, and you know exactly what's going on around you. You just can't move. So I'm just like saying, people don't get the booster shot. Don't be influenced. That's all I'm saying. Yep. Yep. All right. We, uh... All right. I thank you guys very much. I'll work on it. I'll keep you posted. Keep us posted. welcome. And, yes, follow up with us, and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll track along and see how this goes. You're on, you're on the track. You got a couple things to work on. Excellent. Yep. Excellent. All right, so check in once in a while. Let us know how it's going. Anything you want to close with, Lauren? No, I mean, we had a great show with Kara today. I'm really looking forward to having her back because we were just getting into all the details of the questions that I wanted to ask her about the data she had. I know, Um, I know. Yeah, and then we had a good, I think we had a good conversation with Kent and kind of, you know, pointed him on the right track and... I, I can't tell you how many times I get I work with someone and I finally get like through the very I do scan the bottom of the NutriCube to make sure that I'm not right, missing a right. point. And I do it for this very reason because if someone puts that they're a cigarette smoker, there's very little we can do if they're if they're doing everything right. You know that is right. one thing that 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 they're gonna have to do that. I, it's almost it's almost difficult to work with people if there are um, insistent on on smoking because at it, that it point, really it's like, yeah, it, I it really I, I don't know if they can you, control their diet if they can't control the smoking. So it's a difficult one to you know, to deal with. Yeah, I would even say that it, as as we expand our practice and if we were doing more intensive one on ones that people were paying for, you know, we do a lot of this free um, or very yeah. very inexpensively. Um, if we were doing more intense, we were charging for it. I would have a criteria that if you're going to keep smoking, we just won't work with. You. I don't want to take your money because we can't help you. Exactly. We can help you to a certain extent, but at some point, right. if you right. can't let go of the cigarettes, then 
you're not yeah. you're not letting go yeah. of your bad health. Like that's it's the right. gremlin. So yeah, and you'd be wasting yeah. your money to pay us. Exactly. I would feel yes, it would feel unethical for me to be taking money from someone who yeah. I can't help. <laughs> that you, you and you know you can't. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, so for right. the smokers out there, I, that's your number one thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know what I was going to say. Um, I'm, you know, I'm I'm a little sad we we ran out of time with with Karen. We couldn't get down to the more detailed kind of stuff. I think we really covered a lot of good material on the big picture, um, okay. and that's that will set up all the detail really well. And here's the good news: Aaron and the programming team are working on a feature right now that will allow us to put what we're going to call mini series onto the app. So like oh. my later on, Oh, I got to watch the clock. I can't see my I schedule know. though. Cause my computer's <laughs> not up. I have another, we have I have a another recording. <laughs> yeah. I have a recording I have to do today. Um, exactly. So, so like that one, that's like a three part and what that one will be in the app as a mini series. So you can go in and, and it's all organized and together. This one with Kara, you know, who knows? Maybe mm-hmm. there'll be part three. Maybe we'll have so much we want to talk with her about. Uh, so I, I love yeah. that fact now that we can cover the big picture and cover the details, and then we'll be able to get it into an app in a really good format where people, they're, they're almost like mini courses. Mm-hmm. That's pretty neat. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, so that's exciting. All right, I've got to wrap this up now because I have to go figure out how to, get this thing going again and um, figure out what I have to be doing next. And and Diesel's (laughs) staring at me. Diesel's staring at me. So I got to take my little little buddy for a walk, don't I? I know. I'm coming. All right. Yeah, I know. So we will see you tomorrow. Um, Thanks, Lauren. As always, great job on that one-on-one. And uh, great questions with Kara as well. Yeah. We're good together. So we will see you tomorrow. Be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy, always do the hard work and master the journey.